Hi guys, Dre here. Just before this episode gets started, I just wanted to let you make you guys aware that some of the themes we'll be discussing on this episode will be of a sensitive nature and some things you may find upsetting. You've been warned. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Motorsport 101. Hey everybody, Hi, welcome to episode 244 of the Motorsport 101 podcast. I am your friendly neighbourhood host, Andre Harrison, and uh, oh man, this is going to be a, uh, a heavy duty episode of this show, to, to say the least. We have a lot to break down, a lot to get through. We've done 244 episodes, part of this is our own probable, probable negligence, part of this is because of what's coming, but we've never had a content warning before about what we're going to discuss on this show, but we felt like it was appropriate for, well, if you've been, if you, if you've been living under a rock for the, in, the, in the world of motorsport for the last 48 hours, you can probably guess why. Um, with me as always, Mr. I. King, hello sir. Hello, uh... Lockdowns ending in New York. We 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 actually have a reason to end lockdown. Don't know about the uh, forty three other states who don't meet the requirements that are reopening. Uh, let's see how that plays out. Good luck. I think you'll be needing it. Unfortunately, um, in the UK, we can't talk. I've been saying what lockdown for the last month now. Um, basically, uh, with me as well is RJ O'Connell. Hello, sir. Uh, good afternoon. Um, yeah, um, my home state in Tennessee is uh, just like a lot of these places in the southeast and Midwest. They're just throwing caution to the wind. Uh, just say fuck it. We're reopening right now. We're 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 going out. We're gathering. Uh, masks are for cowards, um, etc., etc. Um, my home city of Chattanooga, Tennessee, is now, uh, according to a New York Times study, it was released yesterday as a time recording, second among cities that could see an increase in death rate across the whole United States. Things are going good. We're going to be talking a lot about some heavy-duty stuff. When the world seems like it's going to shit. We are still protesting for people's basic human rights. People all over the entertainment industry, from movies to professional wrestling, are getting outed for their bad guy shit. It's just unpleasant all around. Yeah, like, it's, it's, it's as a small tangent, you know it's not a good sign when Matthew of Botchamania fame, at the end of his latest episode, had to put in the end, life and wrestling is pretty shit right now. Um, although I did appreciate the joke that he made where he said, if we can handle Orlando Jordan's US title reign, we can handle this. Um, <laughs> which <laughs> which is like arguably the worst and best joke I could possibly imagine about the situation all in one fell swoop. Um, with me as well is Mr. Cam Buckley. Hello, sir. Hello, everyone. Um, where I live is about to have a severe thunderstorm, and I only just realized that about two minutes ago. And they're predicting power outages. So if I'm here, good. 
If I'm not, you know what happened. (laughs) We came prepared. Good Uh, good to know. We promised there's going to be some levity today. Yeah. You may just have to sit through it. You may just have to sit through some really tough shit if you've listened this far. This past weekend, we had a fantastic race at Talladega. But that got overshadowed by, uh, well, we'll get to that. Stuff. By everything. (laughs) The race, despite being great, was arguably the, uh, the least significant thing that happened in the last 48 hours for NASCAR. I, let's, let's just say... I'm pretty sure this is the first time NASCAR has ever topped the billion on a show. I can't remember the last time it has. The last I time don't... it did was when Ryan Numas <laughs> almost died. We have a we have a consistent track record. NASCAR okay, outside only tops of literal sh- near fatalities and that one oh, time where we dragged Dre into a room and forced him to watch the Daytona 500. This is no, the no, first no. Time. We, we don't forget that time Kurt Busch's ex girlfriend turned out to be a trained assassin. <laughs> <laughs> we named the show after that, but we saved that till the end. I like, I, 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 uh, saved I, the I best guess. for last. Uh, yeah, I guess we did back then. Um, and look, this has not been a nice week in the world of motorsport and beyond, but. We would be doing you listeners a disservice if we didn't try to inject at least a little bit of humor in it all. I'd argue, given the personalities that are on display on this show, it's what we do best. Kicking and screaming. So do that, we will try. But unfortunately, we've got to get through some heavy shit first. And uh, I'll get some of the general housekeeping out of the way. Places you can find us, in particular this week, youtube.com forward slash motorsport101. I'll talk more about a certain video that I may or may not have uploaded on there um, in the next few minutes, um, talking about Lewis Hamilton and his uh, plans for tangible change and diversity in motorsport, and also... Uh, it also talked a lot about the situation we'll be getting to right at the top of the show, but I did want to point out a uh, and give a very special thank you to Stuart, aka Chainbear, who you probably know if you're listening to this show, um, does brilliant Formula One videos breaking down a lot of the elements of motorsports. I've in been in one of a... his videos. Yeah, 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 yeah. Humble brag. Hum- humble brag, and uh, but uh, he put us on our community tab um, on his channel. And for those guys that don't know, Stuart has three hundred and forty-five thousand subscribers. So um, we've already had one hundred and fifty people sub in the last twenty-four hours to the YouTube account. So um, everybody that came over and um, got where we were coming from, greatly, you know got where we were coming from greatly greatly appreciate it thank you i know about half the comments were that the other half i'll address a bit later um but um special thanks to to to, to Stu for that he like it's it's a debt that we'll never be able to repay to have him plug something like us this pokemon sport podcast is an honor and um uh, Stu, if you're listening, there's a spot on this on this chair right here. Whenever you want it, my friend. Um, so thank you very much indeed for that. Thanks, such thanks as well to Katie and Hazel for plugging it from the from our friends at Inside Electric. Again, they're doing br- they're doing brilliant work at the moment, as always. Some of our best mates in this space. Um, again, they've they've got a hell of a platform, and uh, they believe in us somehow. So we're very grateful for that. 
Um, thanks to everyone that took the time out to watch nearly 3,000 views on that video. Uh, and this is only about 24 hours. In fact, literally just, just over 24 hours to the minute since I uploaded that video at the time of recording. So, uh, thanks, but also no thanks at the same time. It's a weird situation. But uh, thanks for that indeed. Thanks to everyone that's been checking that out. We're also on Facebook, of course. <laughs> Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport 101. We're on Twitter at Motorsport underscore 101. You can follow us there. And you can follow our personal accounts at um, Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King, at RJ O'Connell, and cbuckley 917 for those guys that have been super generous in plugging my shit and following me on there because again my Twitter account has has fucking blown up now it's got like an extra 200 Twitter followers on there in the last week and a half or so again if you subscribe to me you have no excuse sub to everybody else on this show because like if you're following me you're doing me a disservice because you're not acknowledging everybody else that that puts this shit together so uh, if you haven't already please do that I'd be very very grateful um, so thank you, um, where that's concerned, but again, spread it round, you know, if you can handle one of us, you can handle all of us, maybe, um, <laughs> and if you really, really like us, you can back us financially, um, on, uh, on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101, $5 gets you early access to all of our shows, um, before they go out, and $10 gets you uh, into the supporters club of our Discord server where you can listen to these episodes live as they go out. And we are now officially a visual medium because we've now decided to turn our cameras on um, with varying degrees of hair quality. I'll let you determine whose is whose here because right now we have a, uh, a shaved-off playoff beard, we have cam, we have uh, blondiness, and there is now, like, red spray paint in my hair. I have a very convincing 12-year-old sister. What can I say? Um, so, uh, with various degrees of air quality on display here, folks. I'll, again, I'll let you be the judge on that one. Um, so, thanks to all of that. You can get all those details and a whole lot more on our website, motorsport101.com. After this quick musical break, we'll be back to talk about NASCAR. And, uh, oh boy, we got a ways to go on this one. Welcome to maybe what could be one of the heaviest segments in the history of this show. And I almost don't know where to start on this one, leading the charge here on this on this humble motorsport podcast. But, uh, I mean, it was NASCAR this past weekend. It was at Talladega Nights. <laughs> Not Talladega Nights, but Talladega, oh I should God. say. Although... Um, uh, some of the subplots that happened, you'd think it might be a fucking movie. Yeah, no kidding. Jesus Christ. Uh, I don't think I'm that. I don't think I'm actually all that far away from the truth. But uh, I mean, I guess the best place we could start on this is Sunday, more specifically Sunday night. Now, the race was they were obviously meant to run on Sunday night. It was rained off Sunday afternoon. Uh, yeah, they, it's, it's kind afternoon. of a running yeah. gag at this point where every NASCAR race, next to every NASCAR race, has been rained out this year and been delayed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so Sunday afternoon, we had rain in Talladega, could not race. Uh, race was postponed to Monday night. Um, again, as Cam points out, pretty normal for this NASCAR season so far. Um, however, that Sunday night, um, well, this is where it gets uh, quite disturbing. Um, at the time, one of Bubba Wallace's crew, one of Bubba Wallace's crew um, checks his garage, and... He checks his garage and he finds 
a rope by the garage door that was tied in the shape of a noose. Now, that this was taken extremely seriously. I think since the, this incident happened, Bubba has done the rounds on US mainstream media. He said that uh, the, the crew member in question literally paced up and down the garage checking multiple stalls just to see if he hadn't gone crazy or if this was just some sort of pattern or trend. It wasn't. His, his was the only garage um, door that was tied in the form of a noose. And he immediately reported it to NASCAR. And uh, NASCAR did not play around. They went straight to the FBI um, on, on a federal level to, to investigate you know, why there was a noose in Bubba Wallace's garage. And uh, obviously this, this hit the media very quickly. Um, by the time we got to Monday morning, it was it was published essentially everywhere. Um, turns out, we didn't know this at the time, but now knew since, I think, I think it was Jenna Fry that posted this on Twitter, the driver's got a group chat. Uh, I believe it was originally Jimmy Johnson's idea that he was going to push Bubba's car out onto pit road. <clears throat> um, and it escalated from there where um, we had the amazing scenes at uh, Talladega on Monday afternoon where Bubba Wallace's car was pushed out by almost the entirety of NASCAR's garage crews and pit road. Um, not only that, Richard Petty, who let's not forget is, you know, obviously NASCAR royalty. And not only that, of course, an 82-year-old man in the middle of a global pandemic, let's not forget, uh, specifically left home to the track so he could come down and support his driver. Um, very emotional, very symbolic, incredible scenes. It's something, you, you know, you I, I was in tears watching that on TV. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. It was... Uh, it was unbelievable to to see them wheeled out Bubba's car in an act of solidarity. Um, um, not sure where I even go from here now. We we had the race. I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll address that. Like, it was like the race almost seems not important in the grand scheme yeah, of things. Well, it was a fine race. We had fun. We race. had a few of us get race. together on the Discord. We watched it together. Mm-hmm. We had a we had a genuinely good time. Yeah. The, the race yeah. itself was fantastic. It was a situation that you see many a time in many North American motorsports where it was Penske against the world. Yeah, we had, it was kind of a yeah. running gag for this race where we had the Penske train. All three Penske cars and a Penske affiliate with Matt Benedetto's number 21 Wood Brothers car running the inside line one through four and nobody could touch them. It's the closest thing right. we'll have to a cycling peloton in motorsport. <laughs> yeah. Pretty and much. what also so, made this race interesting is that on Monday, there was still the threat of rain. In fact, we did get a red flag for a short time. We did. Mm-hmm. We thought we weren't going to get this race in at all because, yeah. like, they had to turn around and be in Pocono in just a few days. Yeah. And we had thought that the rainstorms would continue throughout the day. They didn't. But because the threat was there... Unlike most super speedway races where everyone just rides around for two hours and then for the last 30 laps, everyone's just going for broke. Everyone had to push to try and get all they can get for the whole race. Yeah, because the race could have literally ended at any moment. Yeah. So the racing itself was great. Mm. Probably the most. Oh, you should about the finish real quick? 
Though, it, we should mention that while, you know, we mentioned the Penske train, there was a late caution, and Penske took a bold strategy to pit for tires, putting them farther back in the field for the last uh, stint of laps than everyone else. And they they weren't grouped together. They were split up throughout the field and they had to work their way together to find a way back to the front. Yeah. Enter Ryan Blaney just... Passing cars with reckless abandon. Might have the best save of the year where he made a pass through the tri-oval. He was on full opposite lock with a car on his bumper. And he not only held it, he made the pass stick. He was nudged at 196 miles an hour. (laughs) I just, I just, wow. Anyone that says these guys don't have skill is out of their goddamn minds. Um, It was an incredible race. I mean, we have to talk about the finish here as well real real quick, don't we? It it was, it was a hot mess. um, (laughs) Ryan Blaney said, fuck them kids. (laughs) (laughs) Blaney, Blaney, go, Blaney wins it in the end in, in, in spectacular fashion. It was four wide going over the line. Who was it to finish third again? Eric Almarola. Stuart Haas races. Backwards. Backwards. No, he Backwards. got third. My favorite take on this, he was third by an ass. Because <laughs> he spun third sideways. Beat the fourth place car by his rear bumper. If this was not such a serious, if, if this was not such a serious show, we would have literally named the episode that. But um, first by a nose, third by an ass. But man, just the just the run to the line with Eric Jones going for the inside, Blaney going in, Jones going outside, and then just going back and forth till Eric Jones tries to go around the outside, bangs doors with Blaney, and gets put into the wall. Yeah, Bla- Blaney <laughs> doored him with no remorse. Oh my god. Mm. So it was an absolutely crazy finish. It was a great race. This might be the most fun. This might be the most fun I've had in terms of just the race. Had we not had all of the surrounding events, this might have been the best super speedway race in the last four or five years. Yeah. Right. And um, it, 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 we had... You know, a great ending as well, where they interview Bubba Wallace out of the car, and you could see in the background something that I have never seen before in all my years of watching the NASCAR event. We, we, a lot of black people wearing Black Lives Matter shirts with raised fists in the air behind him. If that doesn't go down as an iconic shot, maybe for the future, then I don't know what will, because... We'll get into the culture of this sport very briefly, but uh, if you know the culture, yeah, we of should this mention sport, you what know... was banned in the lead up to the race. Oh yeah. Now before we before we get to that, briefly talk about Bubba's race. Or Bubba was up at the front most of the race. He was in third in position to have a shot yeah. at the win. Oh, he yeah. wasn't yeah. though, unfortunately. But his car was laps. short on fuel, uh, and I know during one of the laps he ended up running out. And one of the cars lapped down. Corey LaJoy actually pulled over and, you know, pushed Bubba's car to pit lane so he could, you know, refuel and be around for the finish. And he ended up finishing 13th in that leading pack of cars across the line. Which after is good. restarting Crazy. 24th. Yeah, after restarting 24th. It's a good finish. It's a good finish indeed. Especially when you um, consider Richard Petty Motorsport. They've been okay on super speedways, but overall they are not a great team in Cup. He led yeah. a lap, he ran up front for most of the day, and in the end, you know, he said it after the interview, you know, I apologize that I don't have my face mask on, but 
they can't take away my smile. Yeah. <laughs> now, as we alluded to about two minutes ago, we didn't mention this last time we recorded, but um, two weeks prior to this race, NASCAR officially banned the Confederate flag from the sport itself. Nothing, you know, you're not allowed to wave it in attendance. You are not allowed to have it on uniforms, etc., etc. It was a sport-wide ban on the Confederate flag. Um, and unfortunately, this, in spite of that, I suspect a lot of people had, had gone down to Talladega to protest this. We saw... Um, we had all of three trucks parked outside the track, flying Confederate battle flags, protesting. We had someone fly a plane... Over the track, I believe uh, this was either before or during the Xfinity race the day prior, where they had a plane, the Confederate battle flag, and defund NASCAR, as if NASCAR is somehow a uh, a government-funded sport. Totally makes sense. Jeez, could you fucking imagine, though? Like, you think the F-35 would be a money sink? <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> wow. And, um, oh boy. <laughs> of course, the Mississippi state flag, mm-hmm. of which we have a noted driver on these tracks, Ricky Stenhouse Jr., their state flag has the Confederate battle flag yeah. in it. And right. Ricky took the steps to remove his state flag from, I believe it's his seatbelts. From his driver's suit. Yeah. From um, his driver's yeah, suit. From your driver's suit and, yeah, because. Uh, people kind of forget because it's it's not really mentioned in IndyCar or IMSA, but like usually in the United States, you know, instead of you know representing your country, you represent your state, and you normally have your state flag on your driver's suit or on like the driver's side door where your name is. Yeah, Ricky took the steps to remove that entirely. Uh, standing with Bubba. We had a, like a statement from the Southeastern Conference. Now, for our overseas listeners, that's like the big body of collegiate amateur sports, amateur sports in the uh, Southeast saying, you know, hey, we're we're going to reconsider having events in Mississippi if you don't change the state flag. Mm. Now, there is also an alternate uh, Confederate flag that is currently being used as the state flag of Georgia, but... Well, should we fast forward a few hours? Yes, we should. And get and get to what happened. I reckon I think it was about 11 p.m. last night, um, British time anyway. Um, the FBI had concluded its investigation. Um, they had found that there was no wrongdoing regarding Bubba Wallace's garage door. And they said that, in fact, the, uh, quote, noose that was used... Um, had been there since last fall or last autumn for you British listeners out there. Mm-hmm. It had been there for several months already. But um, they'll thank so. In other words, thankfully, there was no evidence of a hate crime here. It was just an unfortunate coincidence because, um, I think as King alluded to earlier, the garage stalls that are given to the drivers are at random. Um, and it just so happened to be an unfortunate coincidence that Bubba's garage, which he would have had no way of knowing beforehand, would have been the one garage in that in that pit lane that had a noose as a door handle. Um, so this was already a very strange scenario where, you know, this was not a hate crime, and thank God 
this wasn't a hate crime. We're in this, the we... weird middle point of this was not a hate crime, and that is objectively a good no. thing. Right. Yeah. Of course. But. No doubt about it. We are in the, we're in a situation where this was not a hate crime, but this also wasn't a hoax either. Have we also brought up the fact that while Talladega's race was the first one that was open to paying spectators, 5,000 of them, Mm -hmm. uh, that access to the paddock was so tight that before this investigation was wrapped up, like the worst case scenario is like, oh God, this is somebody who works with a team or within the sport that did this. Yeah, because we could narrow it down to NASCAR staff, track staff, or crew members. Yeah. So exactly. I think not. Not even the drivers had access to these garages no, in they that did. time. And re- oh, they did. Yeah, drivers had it too. But yeah, like again, it was an extremely tight paddock going into that race weekend. Yeah. And what people I think are are actively ignoring when they're saying that, oh, oh, it was a hoax. It was fake. It was oh, a play. Oh boy. Well, <laughs> Bubba Wallace isn't the one who found this. A crew member yes. found it and reported it to NASCAR. NASCAR reported it to Bubba. NASCAR did do their due diligence, but when mm. they reported it, it was, while it seemed very clear at the time that they found a noose in Bubba's garage stall, they never said, like, what, like, obviously, they knew what, what rope it was. They knew it was the, the garage door pull down, mm. but they didn't say that, so it made it, it, it made people jump to conclusions like someone brought rope in from the outside. Right. The initial announcement kind of makes it look... Well, NASCAR... NASCAR did the right thing in addressing this as as heavy-handedly as they did. They kind of jumped the gun a little bit with some aspects of it. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, at the like, honestly, in this scenario, personally, I would rather see an organization overdo it than underdo mm. it, quite frankly. Because if this was a genuine hate crime... That's a death threat, yep. as far as I'm concerned. And it should be treated with the entire and complete seriousness of a hate crime. It's why yeah. Bubba's crew was allowed to check his car before he, they even put it out onto pit road the morning after they found the noose. Like, just just in case they, want, they wanted to check, make sure, just in case his car hadn't been tampered with. So, yeah. it, like, it, that- I, I, would, I would much rather... See it. See NASCAR overdo this than underdo this because a death threat, if it was a genuine hate crime, is not something to be fucked with, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and I mean like, that's why they got the FBI and Department of Justice involved immediately. Right. You know. So, I, of course, and, and and this is all I'm getting to here. And like I put that video out. 6 p.m. British time yesterday, again, almost 24 hours ago to the minute. Um, and I've, I had to put a second comment in the in the comment section below because the conclusion of the investigation had taken place after that video had been released. And in that video, I mentioned, you know, a lot of tricky elements regarding NASCAR. And unfortunately, about 50% of the comments, it turned into... NASCAR fans on social media or all over YouTube or Twitter, because again, Shane Bear put it up in his community page and a lot of people couldn't wait to comment on this, saying, that, oh, it's a hoax! And they were doing a victory lap on Twitter and they were yeah, even Yeah, a lot comparing... of people tried to be Mr. Gotcha on this. Yeah, they, they were looking for a gotcha. 
Yeah, there were, there, were, there were people looking for a gotcha, the people that wanted to do a victory lap on Twitter, that, and I'm not giving them the benefit of the doubt here, they were ignorant as all hell to the actual facts of the investigation and didn't spend the 30 seconds it would have taken to read the story and figure out that this was not a hoax on any level, but of course wanted to do a victory lap on anyone's media that suggested otherwise, even comparing him to Jesse Smollett, who was you know, convicted for a, a, a hoax hate crime last year. Um, and, of course, a bunch of people could not wait to jump on the one time, and I mean literally one public big incident we know about, at least, of the one time where a black guy faked a hate crime, and this was their gotcha. This was their Christmas right here. Yeah, and, it's it's akin and- to, you know, with all of the bad guy shit that's popped up in the world of entertainment, you know, Everybody wants to say, well, you know, 3%, 3% of sexual assault cases turn out to be hoaxes after all. What does that account for the other 97%? Yeah, if you, I, I can't stand people that look at a pie chart that says 99 to 1 and then they focus on the 1 rather than the 99. I just they find they that... jump on the, the 1% that fits their narrative. Exactly. And it, I, I'm, I, I'm not going to beat around the bush. It was sickening to read some of these comments. It was absolutely disgusting. It is... I was going to say, first and foremost, is that a lot of these guys are following, were following quite famous, you know, like right-leaning, uh, you know, opinionators like Count Dankula, who went viral a couple of years ago for teaching his dog how to do a Nazi salute and ended up having to be in a British court for it. Um, you know, those sorts of guys that, you know, that, that, were, that were jumping on this. Again, like I said, doing a victory lap, claiming it was a host, and, you know, trying to... They, they, they did not even like the fact that... Uh, that Bubba had gotten all this hype and press attention and media coverage for claiming what he thought was was a hoax. Because again, it, it fits the narrative rather than have a serious conversation about the culture of your sport. You want to try and move the goalposts and pretend that you know Bubba was, you know, the fall guy here for a elaborate plan to make him look more popular. I was even extremely disappointed that Urinating Tree, one of our favourite YouTubers here, chipped in and even called and I quote the uh, the 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 pushing of Bubba's car. He called it pandering, which I thought was uh, mm. I thought was cute. Um, and I thought I thought that was disappointing, but hey, if you want to live your cynical bastard Twitter uh, YouTube gimmick on Twitter, I guess you can do that too. Whatever, <laughs> yeah, pander to your crowd. I think it's ironic, personally. Yeah, um, of course so, we saw yeah. we saw statements from those who have been involved with the sport, including one Mike Skinner's son. Say something. Oh horrible, Jesus, we haven't even gotten this. Like we didn't things. even. We didn't even get to, because it's been a couple yeah. of weeks, and I think we discussed like when the initial statement came out about the Confederate flag man last mm-hmm. week's show. We missed mm-hmm. where Journeyman never was, never, ever been driver, Ray Cicerelli, and his family said that they were going to stop racing because they banned the Confederate flag. May I, may I say, may I respond to that? The men who fought under the Confederacy renounced their citizenship of the United States, were enemies of the United States, declared war upon the United States, and the men and women they killed, both civilian and military, were citizens of the United States. It is the most treasonous flag that you can fly if you're in America. Goddamn right it is. We do not see fucking statues and flags from Nazi Germany in Germany celebrating that time period. 
And those people that still sympathize with those views in Germany, they'll fly Confederate flags because they know damn well they can't fly the old Nazi Germany flags. That's what that yeah. represents. As Zoe in our Discord server pointed out, even General Lee, who led the Confederacy, said there should not be statues of him put up. And yet, that didn't stop a lot of America from putting them up anyway. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, America and the UK has quite a lot in common in terms of putting statues of terrible people up to be celebrated. Um, but again, all this over the right to own slaves. I don't care what you tell me, if you take pride in flying the Confederate flag, you are racist. There is no ifs or buts about this. There is no arguments that can be had. I do not need to hear your justification for said flag to have an informed opinion on this. There states' is no... rights for what? States' rights for what? Right. Oh, it's part of your heritage? The Confederacy lasted four years and three months. I have pairs of shoes that have lasted longer than the Confederacy. Fuck Microsoft Zoom lasted longer than the Confederacy. <laughs> right. Like, like... Sh- like so, this is I do I do not need Katie Hopkins to be invited onto a TV show to debate me as to whether this is racist or not. And her, by the way, she got taken off Twitter last week. Get oh yes, in there. love to fucking oh. see it. Oh, oh that there. was beautiful. I I, I will grambling a hand next. Yes, please, thank you. But I, I I had to get that one in. But I, I, there's no ifs or buts about this. And the point I made in the video is is, is distinctively where I said. NASCAR does not deserve the benefit of the doubt here regarding its quote-unquote changed culture. It this should have happened the, so many years ago. It took them till June 2020 to ban the Confederate flag. Mm. It took them this long. Richard Petty came down to that track to, you know, to support Bubba Wallace. This is the man that only two and a half years ago was said that anyone that took a knee for the national anthem, a form of protest which has now been deemed socially acceptable three years later would be fired and said that if you were taking the knee for the the anthem, you shouldn't be in this country. That was two and a half years ago. I'd honestly love, it would be the interview of my life if I could ever sit down with with Richard Petty, who, like I said, is an 82-year-old man now. And I'd love to ask him, what changed your mind? Like, what what changed? Because you were going to fire people for this protest, and now... You've actually risked your own health and life to come down and support Bubba Wallace in the, yeah, we should in put the middle the background of a global pandemic. It. Yeah, Richard Petty has not been going to yeah. races because of the risk to his health. He normally yeah. goes to races, but this year he hasn't been because of the pandemic. Yeah, he's 82 years old and this virus has had a knack, unfortunately, of be- making more people that are vulnerable and older. Unfortunately, they're higher at risk, so... He's not been going to races. He came out for this one to support. And he said he wanted to come down there and support and hug his driver. I would love nothing better to sit down and ask that man what changed. Hmm. What what changed your mind? What changed is the driver that he brought in. Yeah. Yeah. But the thing is, you, you can't say you can't say he changed his mind because Bubba's at the team now. Because Bubba was back at the team back then. I was going to say, I was going to say, like, Bubba, wasn't Bubba there in 2017? Yeah, he did have a cup of coffee in 2017. Their regular driver, Eric Almarola, who we've conveniently forget is, you know, a Cuban-American driver, uh, was injured. They had Bubba Wallace called in for a handful of races that led to a full-time ride in 2018. uh, That was the season Almarola broke his back, was it not? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so I was going to say, I was going to say, like, because, again, you can't use the excuse that, oh, you've got a black driver now. Because Bubba Wallace drove for you in 2017. 
So what changed? And this is why I made the point in the video that NASCAR does not deserve the benefit of the doubt for its culture. The unfortunate reality is this series was a safe space for racism for decades. Oh, yeah. There mm-hmm. is no ifs or buts about this. It was the safest sport imaginable for racism. You Absolutely. could see it flown around its sport and a part of its it was an embraced as part of its culture in the South for decades. Yeah. And there's still there's still one black driver in the sport, let's not forget. <laughs> yeah. And and the, the fact that someone went to all that trouble to have a plane, a crop duster, fly over the stadium saying defund NASCAR with a Confederate flag on it, the fact that people are driven down to the stadium in protest with their Confederate flags that same weekend. You, for, if you want to do a victory lap o- over this hoax, then fine, but you are being ignorant to the sports at large if you don't acknowledge the fact that this sport was a, has been a safe space for racism for a hell of a long time, and it's going to take years and years and years for NASCAR. It's got a tremendous amount of work to do to undo that undo the damage that break the, up the, with barstool yeah, yeah. That, like, that that sure as hell wouldn't hurt either <laughs> like Jesus just, just like our acquaintances at the ncaa would say to say penn state your school has a culture problem mm. right the stereotype that, Na- that surrounds nascar it's there for a reason Oh, yeah. It's going to take decades. It's going to take generations for this mm. to change. Because, like, these guys, like, could you, okay, let's put it this way, right? And Babani Jones made this point on his Twitter. He's been one of the best vocalists about this situation I've seen on Twitter and, and in general. He's one of the best oh. journalists in the world. I've said this countless times. But he mentioned this, this, this very point. If you thought the Confederate protests were bad now, <laughs> what do you think's going to happen? Two, three, four weeks down the road. This isn't going to stop. This is not the end of this story. Yeah. This what, is gonna, what, if, what happens when fans are allowed exactly. back in full? Mm-hmm. Right. We, we had a handful. We had 5,000 fans at Talladega this weekend. People like, showed this up. This is nowhere near a full NASCAR race. Oh, not even close. We saw how bad NASCAR so, fans got when Dale Earnhardt Jr. lost a race at Talladega to Jeff Gordon on a caution. And they were throwing trash yeah. out on the track. Right, right. But the point still stands. Yeah. Like, what do you think's going to happen when we have full capacity crowds again? Which, going by America and the way they're treating COVID, is probably not all that far away, unfortunately. Yeah. And, and what, what do you think's going to happen then? This time, it was a misunderstanding. But NASCAR were right to treat this like it was a hate crime. Because the next time, it may not be a misunderstanding at all. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately, a half of their audience right now is is again like basically celebrating the fact that the series isn't quite as racist as it thought it was, which is just like that's a hell of a victory lap you guys want to take. Like you guys are really like outing yourselves here. Like if you're listening to the show and 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 you're thinking like, like you guys think you're being real slick about this and you're not. Trust me, this is not a vindication of your sport. This is not a vindication of the culture of your sport. If anything. It further demonstrates why Bubba's car being pushed out yesterday as we record this show was so important. The fact that it was plausible in the first place. It was extremely plausible, and that should have alarm bells ringing. The first thing that crew member thought when he was going up and down, when he was going up and down the garages, checking the garages is, oh shit, someone committed a hate crime against our driver. 
Right. They're absolutely right to think that. And I would have thought the exact same thing if I was in his position. You have a black driver. You see a noose in your garage. It's what the do you only think is going to be one going that's through that tied like mind? this. The, the, right. the, the fucking level of coincidence there. Right. It's it's absolutely plausible to think this might was this might be a hate crime. And if you if you're one of those people that think it completely wasn't, and the Bubba's hoax in this, you're just being ignorant. And and. It's it's been a very disappointing forty eight hours in the world of sport. I wanted to mention this as well because we we, we mentioned um, a, a crop duster being flown over Talladega with defund NASCAR, and, and I, I don't know how many of you guys know about this situation. I think, I think most of you do, mm-hmm. um, or certainly our listeners do. But if you're any fans of the Premier League, for you British listeners out there, or maybe even from beyond the seas, it is more popular mm-hmm. out out there these days. During the Burnley versus Manchester City game. Um, two days ago, um, there was a banner. Again, a, a small group of Burnley fans organized the banner, and it was flown over the stadium that said, White Lives Matter, Burnley. And this was mere minutes before all the players and officials on the pitch took a knee for Black Lives Matter, which has been happened in every Premier League game since the league restarted last week. Um, so this has not been... and This is not an isolated incident, unfortunately. And... Yeah. Um, for, uh, and uh, on, a, on a tangent note, and, and I won't, I'm not going to hijack too much of people's time here, but as, a, as the one Brit on this show, um, it was appalling to see that. It was appalling to see that that a small minority of, 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 of Burnley's fans did that, and it was it was disgusting. And I'm glad that Burnley's captain Ben Mee spoke eloquently about how ashamed and embarrassed he was that people representing the badge of the club he represents did that in their name and um he was not the only one that's spoken out about it joe hart former england goalkeeper who plays for burnley right now did the exact same thing said it was disgusting and completely missed the point to put it into perspective as to just how awful this was Mike Wedderburn, who is the only black anchor on Sky Sports News, who many of you probably have seen without even realising from news clips or other viral incidents or whatever, especially if you're in the UK, of course, because Sky Sports News is free. Um, like, you've probably seen Mike without even realising. He was given an open mic in 75 seconds to ha- to explain why that banner for White Lives Matter, quote, end quote, was racist. The fact that in the year of our Lord 2020, that this needs to be explained by a black man is alarming in this society. And that so many white people take this as some sort of personal attack when it's not. And he spoke beautifully and eloquently about how, yes, in the context of what's going on right now with the Black Lives Matter movement, it is absolutely racist to come out and say white lives matter because it's a form of... It's a form of superiority, and it's a message that says, we think we're better. Like, why do you think our lives are more important? And he talked eloquently about how police brutality is very much a thing in the UK. He talked eloquently about, as a, he's a TV presenter, and yet even he's been stopped by the police for no real reason besides he had a nice-looking car. You know, it's, it's and it's more common than you think in the UK, too, so... Like this is this is a very real thing, and we should not be looking for reasons to diminish this. We should not be trying to move the goalposts on what is racist and what isn't. 
my advice to most people out there, and to be fair, the people that were probably defending White Lives Matter don't want to be educated. They don't want to be told otherwise. They want to be ignorant. They they haven't got the balls to say that we don't care about black people. Yeah, they've, cho- uh, they've chosen that- ignorance. They've chosen willful yeah. ignorance. Yeah, I've said it before. All lives matter is the phrase of the coward because they haven't got the balls to say I don't care about black folks. And I, and I stand. All lives can't matter until black ones do. Exactly, and if any anyone that says otherwise on this is ignorant as all hell. And like I said, like I, I don't. Again, they don't deserve the benefit of the doubt because, as far as I'm concerned, they don't want to be educated. They don't want to listen to black people and, and hear them out. They they just want to be ignorant. They want the right to be ignorant without being criticised for it. And. Like again, as as I'm sure you know on this show, if you listen to this, you more than notice that we are full, we're in full support of Black Lives Matter. This show is for everyone, and, unf- and the unfortunate reality is, is that the motorsport community that we live in, we are not exempt from this. Hardly the op- like, if, if anything, it's quite the opposite. And we'll get to the second half of that in a minute. Um, talking about Lewis Hamilton and boy, when the Formula One account put some of the, put his talk about the commission up out there. Um, pfft, we, we we were telling on ourselves to say the least, <laughs> but right. this is a show. For, this is a show for everyone, and we have much to work on. And it starts with us. And unfortunately, the reality. And I told I told Stuart, aka Chamber Chamber, this on our official Twitter account yesterday. Unfortunately, if change is ever going to happen, we're going to have to make some white folks uncomfortable. And. And that means you keep the pressure on, you keep talking about these issues, and we keep asking hard questions as to why our society is the way it is. And brief. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry I hijacked that for about eight minutes. Nah, That's no, it's fine. okay. I wanted, I, I wanted to just, like, before we wrap up, because I know we want to talk about the Hamilton Commission, um, mm. Marty Smith, uh, one of ESPN's personalities, who used to be one of their lead NASCAR reporters before ESPN mm. lost NASCAR, uh, gave a very impassioned speech uh, Sunday night on Sports Center, and he said, "You know, we we have to get this crap out of our sport." Yeah, he was having is... to stop himself from swearing pretty much every two words. He did, and all of that emotion, no matter what the the findings of this FBI investigation uh, said, you know, all of that is still valid. I I have someone who lives and grew up in the South. I think it is time for all of this crap to be eliminated from the sport. The racism, the Confederate flags. It's time for NASCAR to have a serious reckoning with its history. A serious reckoning with, you know, provisionally taking a win away from Wendell Scott. From all the other ugliness of the sport uh, that's been around for the last 75 years. It's long overdue for that. It's awesome. That NASCAR, seemingly in 48 hours, has put more support behind their one black driver on the surface than the NFL has in the last four years for their majority of black athletes. It's great that you did that. The work's not done. And the work won't be done for a long while yet. Bubba put out a statement, too. Bubba Wallace said, uh, I just put this out on Twitter. It's been an emotional few days. First off, I want to say how relieved I am that this investigation revealed that this wasn't what we feared it was. I want to thank my team, NASCAR, and the FBI for acting swiftly and treating this as a real threat. I think we'll gladly take a little embarrassment over what the alternatives could have been. Make no mistake, though some will try, this should not detract from the show of unity we had on Monday. 
and the progress we've made as a sport to be a more welcoming environment for all. Couldn't have put that much better myself. Unfortunately, for a lot of people, he's now their fall guy, and it's disgraceful that he has become their fall guy, and I hope people will tune in, to, and I hope, again, I hope NASCAR does as much as it can to try and eradicate it's history, but like I said, I think it's, I think it's going to have to have a lot of very hard conversations about itself as a sport and what got it to this point. And you know that that fight's not going to be solved overnight. It's going to take years and years of of, of, of change. And I, I, I can I only sincerely hope that most importantly, as far as I'm concerned, is that the, the act of solidarity behind Bubba Wallace is not lost in all of this, and that. NASCAR should be an open sport for everybody. A part of the reason why I've never watched it is because I felt like I wouldn't belong watching it. If I was in a if I was in a stadium, that I wouldn't be welcome, and that is not a nice thing to have to think about as a fan of motorsport. And I hope NASCAR embraces the ugliness of its, of its past, but also uses it to push for a better future, because the its fans deserve better and it's it's in their, it's in their best interest to do better mm-hmm. like, because it's ugly and it's not going to get any it's not going to get any prettier anytime soon as far as i'm concerned mm-hmm. hello it's rj after we recorded this episode uh there were more developments in the bubble wallace story uh dre put out a video uh, here is the audio from that video that's on our YouTube channel right now. You should go ahead and watch, but here's the audio of that Dre brief. Hi guys, Dre here. And for the second time in three videos, I can't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> I really, really don't want to make this video, but unfortunately, given recent events, I feel like I'm only doing due diligence if I make a follow-up to the Dre brief video that I made on Tuesday. Um... On that video, I talk at length about Lewis Hamilton and the commission that he's setting up to investigate diversity in motorsport. But there was also an opening segment, the first maybe two, two and a half minutes, where I talked about Bubba Wallace and what happened in NASCAR over the course of this past weekend. Now, for those guys that don't know the situation, Talladega was meant to, they were meant to be racing in Talladega that weekend. On Sunday night, the race was postponed till Monday due to rain. Um... Overnight, in Bubba Wallace's garage stall, a noose was found. Now, I don't care what you tell me, I'm going to call it a noose throughout this video, because if the FBI and NASCAR were referring it to that in their statements, I will too. Um, If you don't like it, tough, as far as I'm concerned. Now, what we saw in said video was a symbolic act of unity between NASCAR, where... And let me point out as well, because a lot of people have said, oh, Bubba Wallace was just trying to cash in or take this story and roll with it or try and get p- publicity out of this. This idea was initially started by Jimmy Johnson in the wake of the news that had gone through on Sunday before we got the full story. It was Jimmy Johnson's idea to push Bubba's car out onto pit road and everybody else followed suit. It was It was the other driver's idea. This wasn't... Bubba going to, to everyone and saying, this is what we should do. No, it was everybody else's idea. 
Hence why the emotion, I think, that came out of Bubba was genuine. Because this was not a plan that he orchestrated. But the unfortunate timing of the video on Monday, and then Chelsea Tuesday subsequent release, was that the FBI concluded its investigation into the alleged hate crime. It was not a hate crime. Um, the reason being is because that noose that was in the garage had been there since October 2019, the last time they raced at Talladega. And as a result of that, combined with the knowledge that NASCAR only gives out garage stalls based on points and hence is random, Bubba could not have been a deliberate target for that attack. We now know more details about the situation in the coming days since. Turns out it was a member of Richard Petty Motorsports crew, or Bubba Wallace's team in the number for the number 43 car, that had initially found the noose in the garage. Said member of staff had checked every other stall in the garage just in case this was a coincidence. It was not. It was the only garage stall shaped like a noose on its garage door. So he had informed his crew chief. The crew chief had informed security. Security had informed NASCAR. NASCAR called the FBI. They felt like Bubba Wallace had been threatened. Basically, they felt like he was like he was threatened. It was an alleged hate crime. They treated it like it was a hate crime, and they called the FBI. The FBI sent 15 agents down the next morning to investigate, and that was the result of their investigation. Now, of course retrospectively people went back on my video a couple of days ago to try and dunk on me in the comments by saying oh look you know this wasn't a hate crime it must be a hoax when it's not a hoax either Bubba had no idea this noose was in his garage until a member of his crew found it and NASCAR had informed him that yeah we found the noose in your garage and we're checking it out right now People wanted to be cynical towards Bubba Wallace. They compared him to Jussie Smollett, which is just so problematic and sums up a lot of culture right now where we focus on the one time a black person faked a hate, a hate crime compared to the hundreds, if not thousands, of incidents in American history where genuine hate crimes have actually happened. Focus on the one rather than the 99, because of course... People jumped on this wagon, and this was not some small vocal minority. This was clearly thousands of people that did not believe this. Because I've seen parody accounts of Bubba Wallace that have had thousands of Twitter followers follow them over the course of the last few days. Urinating Tree, a massive popular YouTuber, called the gesture of pushing Wallace's car out on Twitter, he called it pandering. People did not want to believe this story. And that's what leads it up to this point. Because NASCAR conducted its own internal investigation regarding that noose. And the results for it came out last yesterday afternoon. Which has led to me making this video. So I think it's Steve Phelps is the name. He's the president of NASCAR. Came out and said that, yes, the noose was in there in October 2019. The last people who used it was the Wood Brothers team. They do not know who fashioned the noose for the for the for the uh, door key or the door the garage door basically. They don't know who did it, but it was shaped like a noose, and NASCAR had got on the phone and contacted every track that's on its current calendar, twenty nine of them, and checked 
every Garage stall on the calendar to see if anything else was similar. Here was the results. They checked 1,684 garage stalls. And I'm getting this off. I'm getting this off Bob Pockris's Twitter account. I'm looking on my computer right now. So apologies for looking a little bit unprofessional here. But I want to get this absolutely on the nose. They checked the entire garage at Talladega. Nothing else was similar. They checked 1,684 garage stalls across 29 tracks. Only 11 had the pulled down tie rope with a knot. Which is what everybody jumped on on Twitter. All the conspiracy theorists that jumped out about that this is normal. This has been an exaggeration. So that out of 1,684 garage stalls, only 11 had had the same loop that we've seen on Twitter do the rounds via conspiracy theorists or other people that have dug up older videos of Talladega or dug up footage of, of garages previously, like from October 2019, as I mentioned. Only 11 out of 1,684 were tied that way. And the one that was like Bubba's, the one that was like the noose that was in Bubba's garage was the only one that was done in that way. And for the record, I don't care what you guys tell me. That looks like a fucking noose. Any reasonable person would say the same. I don't care what you tell me. If somebody had walked into Bubba Wallace's garage and had seen that, I'd have reported it as a hate crime too. I work in a bookies full time. If someone had left a noose outside my door, knowing that I was the manager of that shop, which I am in real life, my full-time job is I work in a bookies. If somebody had left that on my desk, or somebody had left that outside my shop, or put it on the door, I'd be calling up my manager, my district manager, and I'd be saying, get down here, take evidence, call the police, and I am not working in this shop again until this is investigated we find out who put this here, and I know it's safe to come back to work. Because I am taking that as a death threat. Anyone that knows the history of black people in America and worldwide and associates nooses with lynching, they are designed to break necks and kill people. I am taking that as a death threat, as far as I'm concerned. And I think any reasonable person would have done the same. I have no problem with the way NASCAR handled this. I think NASCAR did exactly what it was supposed to do. They invested it. They alleged they took it on the basis of good faith that it was a hate crime. And they should have done. Because according to NASCAR's own research, and it proves that they're a right to do this, that noose was not normal. It just wasn't. And that's disappointing to find out that that is not normal. So this is not some half... This is a half-baked conspiracy theory at best to suggest that this is some normal loop. It's not. They checked the entire calendar. And that's what's annoying. NASCAR, the only even minor criticisms I've got of this situation was that NASCAR should have probably used the words the ledge in its initial statement. And that's a harsh one. Phelps took full responsibility for that. But again, they investigated it like it was a hate crime. I can understand why they did that. As far as I'm concerned. And the other one was that Bubba Wallace went on The View and said that people that didn't think it was a hate crime were, quote, simple-minded. As far as I'm concerned, 
the people that took offense to that didn't believe him anyway, so why the fuck should Bubba Waters care about those people's feelings in the first place? Mr. I'm gonna wait for all the facts to come out. If one of my friends came up to me and said that they think they, they think they were the victim of a hate crime, I would believe them, and if I didn't believe them, that person probably would no longer be my friend. And I find that disturbing that w that we don't give someone like Bubba the benefit of the doubt. And it's easy to forget in the heat of all this story is that, and this is the point I'm getting to here with the Bubba Wallace story, is that the whole thing's been a deflection from what I think the real problem is here. This was a powerful moment for the series, what happened to Talladega. Bubba Wallace's car being pushed out, if anything, is now even more significant because we thought he was the victim of a hate crime and we didn't believe him. And then the sport, in spite of that, still rallied together and got behind this man, the sport's only black driver. In, let's not forget, is arguably the most racially segregated sport in North America, and if not, the entire world. I understand and respect the fact that NASCAR is trying to diversify its sport. It's got a great diversity program, and I know it's 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 making an effort from the top to try and improve the situation. It does not hide the fact that the sport has an ugly history when it comes to race. It does not hide the fact that it took only until two weeks ago for the sport to ban the Confederate flag. A flag that was happily being waved at NASCAR events for years. Decades even. The sport is going to have to at some point acknowledge its ugly history if it truly wants to embrace change. Because... I don't care what you tell me. The sport was an enabler for racism. It was a safe space for racists. I'm not stupid. I know what the Confederate flag represents. It represents the fact that in the South, people were so angry about the possibility of losing their slaves, they were going to renounce their United States citizenship, be a traitor to their country, take up arms and kill innocent Americans for the right to own slaves. Yes, it's a part of America's history. I don't think it should be celebrated. Because when you go to an event waving that flag, you're celebrating it. You're enabling it. You're endorsing it. You're letting that be represented. Yes, it's a part of history. But it only lasted four years. Windows Vista lasted longer than that. The sport bred this culture. The fact that... This flag had largely been ushered out of America from a social standpoint, but NASCAR was one of the last places to follow up on this in June 2020 is embarrassing. And the Bubba Wallace story is deflected from the fact that this weekend, at Ta this past weekend at Talladega, we had cars drive down to the stadium in protest waving confederate flags outside knowing they wouldn't be allowed in but they went down to protest and fly the flag by the stadium anyway we had people uh, organize a crop duster to fly over the stadium with the confederate flag on it with a sign that said defund nascar which doesn't even make sense because it's not like the police 
NASCAR's a privately owned business. It's not a federally funded organization that's owned ultimately by the government. It doesn't make any sense. And yet, that was on a plane flying over the stadium with the Confederate flag on it. A direct protest. Amazingly, only the second most controversial crop duster flight this week in world sport. Amazing. Amazing how that turns out. But these were significant. This was a time of heightened racial tension because people and a significant number of people were lashing out at the sport. NASCAR is doing its best to try and, and move on from its racist background or its enabler of racist culture. And some of its own fans are saying, says who? That's what we're dealing with here. And that is a very ugly part of the sport that has now almost been squashed because of the Bubba Wallace story. And the fact that so many of its fans wanted Bubba to be the victim and yet also the fall guy at the same time. And it's sad because, it's, like I said, it's been a deflection from the real issue. And that's the fact that this sport's been a safe space for racism. I don't care what anyone says to me. I, I don't need to hear the other side of the debates here to have an informed opinion on this. It's the biggest myth of internet culture in 2020 is that I need to hear both sides. I need balance to have an informed opinion. It's bullshit. <laughs> Flying the Confederate flag over a stadium is a clear protest and backlash to what the sport has done. I mentioned Richard Petty himself in the Dre Brief video. And I mentioned the fact that he put his own health at risk to go down to Talladega this weekend and support Bubba, which was great and all. But this is the same guy that less than three years ago said, if you take a knee during the national anthem, you shouldn't be in the country. And he threatened to fire any member of his staff that was caught taking a knee. And I'd love to sit down and ask Richard Petty, what changed? What changed in the last two and a half years? Because you can't say it was hiring a black driver. Because Bubba Wallace drove for you in 2017. He covered for Eric Amarola's injury. So you can't say it's because I hired a black man and I listened to him. Because it wasn't that. You had Bubba drive for you in 2017 that same season in the Cup Series. He was a stand-in. So what changed? See what I'm getting at here? It's nice and all that he had the symbolic gesture. But it also leads to greater questions about the sport, the culture it's bred, and what said sport is going to do going forward. Because the unfortunate reality is, is that if NASCAR really wants to move on from its past and wants to have a new, diverse, progressive sport, it's got to address the fact that there's going to be a significant amount of fans that don't want NASCAR to change. They want to wave their Confederate flag without being criticised. They don't want to be approached. They want that older culture that they grew up watching and racing in. And that's what NASCAR is going to have to address going forward. And that was the point that I made in my Dre Brief that I think a lot of people very conveniently ignored. I'm delighted that Bubba was not the victim of a hate crime. I'm delighted it wasn't a hoax. It was neither of those things. Ironically, situations like this are not black and white. They are varying shades of grey. We waited for all the facts to come out. The facts are now here. I don't think it's an unfair question, especially in the wake of all these conspiracy theories that came out. Why? Bubba Wallace's garage stall was the only one on the entire calendar in the entire country 
that was shaped like a noose, and there's no explanation as to why the Wood Brothers team had one of their members of the crew tie their tie tie their noose like that on their garage door in October 2019. I'm glad that NASCAR is giving its entire staff diversity training, they're giving it sensitivity training and unconscious bias training to try and make sure this doesn't happen again. Unfortunately, the Bubba Wallace story has deflected away from the real issue, and that is the issue of the racial culture that's being bred in NASCAR. And I hope the sport has more difficult conversations and makes a lot more white folks uncomfortable talking about this story, because if they really want to embrace change, they're going to have to embrace their past. Let's talk about the Hamilton Commission. Now, this this was a big story. Um, this, this Again, this came through on Sunday as well. And Lewis Hamilton announced that he was going to have a, a partnership with the Royal Academy of Engineering here in the UK. Um, and he was going to launch his own commission to address diversity in motorsports. Um, I'll read you the quote because he, he did a lengthy piece for the uh, Sunday Times, which unfortunately was behind the paywall in the UK. Thanks a bunch, Sunday Times, as always. But thankfully, BB Sport picked up a, a lot of the key quotes. Um, this is what he said to the Sunday Times this past Sunday. He said, It is not enough to point to me or, or to a single new black hire as a meaningful example of progress. Um, he he added thousands of people are employed across this industry and, and that group needs to be more representative of society he said he wants motorsport to become as diverse and as as, as the complex and multicultural world we live in he, he's, he's also said that um, according to this commission which has been set up in partnership with the Royal Academy of Engineering Hamilton said the time for platitudes and token gestures is over it will explore areas including lack of role models and career services at schools, opportunities to engage more black youth with STEM, which means if you guys don't know, it stands for science, technology, engineering, and maths, extracurriculars, barriers to prevent people from more diverse backgrounds joining the racing industry, and problematic hiring practices that result in fewer black graduates entering engineering professions. This will not be arm's length research. We want to hear from the young people and graduates who deal with these challenges every day. And we are in the process of bringing on additional partners who work on the ground in black communities to bring first-hand perspective. In addition, we want to bring in leaders from policy and business who are committed to leading on the activation of research recommendations. Now, I remember doing this and I did some digging on this. I had no idea about the education scene and it took me five minutes uh, of basic research to find out that the numbers add up if and I mentioned this in the video if you're black you're 27% less likely to to end up in a career in STEM related careers if you're black or of an ethnic minority compared to white men and Mm -hmm. another one I pointed out was that only 4% of engineers in the UK are women which I think is just startling one in 25. I mean, that's, that is alarming to me. And the F1 social media accounts put the same quotes I just mentioned to you out there on their social media, and it got carpet bombed. I do not envy Charlie, who runs that page, um, to say the least, because he got carpet bombs from people screaming but my meritocracy basically as to what this was you know 
oh, F1 isn't racist, um, etc., etc. Bullshit. It like, strikes me just how my just how many fans adore Lewis Hamilton the driver and despise Lewis Hamilton the activist. I've made the point yeah. before that, like, if the stereotype that you envision of a NASCAR fan is like the uneducated redneck Trump supporter, then the stereotype of the bigoted ass F1 fan is more along the lines of a Ben Shapiro or Steven Crowder. It's a yeah. bigot with more money and more education, but still a bigot yes. nonetheless. A bigot's yeah, a bigot. It's it's it, it, it's a bigot nonetheless. It's just dressed differently and as a yeah, and doesn't fit that negative quote NASCAR stereotype. But look, people railed on this, and the scariest part is that wasn't what I mentioned earlier. Some of those stats that I mentioned were not; they were not buried deep on like behind walls of texts and studies. That, that took me five minutes to to mention that, and that was. The, men- the, the science stats I mentioned were from the case was was, the, was, was from CSA, CS, blah, pardon me, CASE that study diversity in the sciences, to, to point that out. The government's own website I did dig in on, and they had published numbers on this that said that of all the races in the United Kingdom that have a foothold in the UK, the most likely chance of you being below the average in, in terms of UK salary is black households. 35% of them, as a matter of fact. More than any other race. Like, the reality is is that, statistically, if, you, if you're if you born black in the UK, you're at a disadvantage. Like, like, just going purely by maths and probability here, you don't stand to do well. And as you said, Cam, like, you mentioned that people love Lewis the driver but don't want to answer any hard questions about Lewis the activist. We, we, we talked about this before. We talked about him launching his his vegan restaurants and people didn't like the fact he was going vegan and opening their chain. Yeah, he just everyone jumped on the fact, oh well, you drive thousand horsepower racing cars. You don't care about the environment. But my private jet which he sold. Yeah. You know? you, using his platform to try and create meaningful meaningful change is a good thing. It's an objectively good thing. Right. I don't un- like. I don't understand what you could possibly argue that maybe doing a bit for a better environment is totally a bad thing. When he put those videos on his Instagram page of him cleaning up rubbish when he was on holiday, he, 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 he was he was turned into a meme because he was surrounded by trash bags and people couldn't wait to jump on that. And when he talked about opening a chain of vegan restaurants, they were like, "But my private jet," which is that like. Somebody literally said in the YouTube comments of my video that I put out yesterday that a real gesture would have been to scrap the jet. He's already sold it. But he's already like, sold it. That would have been a real gesture because somebody else can use that plane. And I'm just like, okay, if you like, if you ever make it rich, and given how stupid you clearly are, I really hope you don't. If you brought a private jet, are you scrapping it? No. Are, you, are, you, are you taking no. it down to your your local recycling yard and sticking it in a dumpster? Of course you're not. No, you're just like, flipping it to some other guillotine candidate. <laughs> right, so what are we really talking about here? Like, it's, again, people want to move their goalposts and, and make it seem like Lewis has to talk about every social problem in the world. Otherwise, he can't talk about anything within his own sport, which you'd think 
would be the first thing that he would cover. Well, when you want to talk um, about racing as a meritocracy, which F1 is a meritocracy. <laughs> oh, boy. But, uh, want to talk about racing as you, a meritocracy, think of all the people who can't get into the sport just because of the color of their skin. Right. That's as he As he said, that, just looking at the exception and not the rule is not the way to do this. Yeah, like... While while there may not be, you know, racing teams just specifically not trying to hire black drivers, you go back to the start it's where it's like, yeah, it's deeper where it's like it costs a lot of money to get into racing. And statistically, if you're if you're from a family of color, you're more likely not to have that money. Yeah, it's much deeper than right. service level. I made the point in the show last time. Mm-hmm. Steve Martinborough played Premier League football, or its equivalent, for 15 years. It couldn't get his son into karting, so Jan Martinborough had to get in through video games. If you need to, if you need an example, and this isn't an F1, but this this is an American motorsport. Watch the Willie T. Ribs documentary. Yeah, and even if you want a more modern day example, people that don't know Hamilton's story will know that this was not normal. Hamilton, I mentioned it in the video. Lewis Hamilton. His parents divorced at age two. He slept on his dad's couch when he moved in with him when he was age 12. That, that was not a family that had money. Like, mm. Hamilton was sleeping on the couch. You know, the first car he ever owned had four previous owners. It was it was in the back page adverts of a newspaper. He it had to bust out his of the ass. Box. That family had to bust like, their ass to get Lewis in yeah, a position to succeed. He, and then even then, he had to call up Ron Dennis personally. Yeah, his dad took redundancy as an IT manager, a good paying job in the UK more often than not. He he, he had to quit his good-ass job, and he worked three jobs on the side to make sure Lewis was able to get around to every karting race that he had to get to with Anthony being there in tow. The only promise he ever made Lewis, keep your studies up. You keep your studies up, I will do what I have to do to get you to these karting events. And that's exactly what Anthony Hamilton did all those years ago. Uh, like, and anyone, especially from the UK, should know this. Anyone working three jobs is not normal. Mm. Like, like, do I have to spell this out to some of these people? This is not normal. The fact that a, a black man who was a single parent at the time had to work three jobs to give Lewis even a prayer. And to be honest, if it was not for Ron Dennis, he, he might still not have made it, by all accounts. It was- because. It was know, a fucking yeah, stars a fact, aligning. Yeah. It and having to bust miracle. their asses. Right. Lewis Hamilton's career is a walking miracle. I do not... I cannot stress this enough, how much shit had to come together in order for Hamilton's career to play out as it did. There was a million things that could have happened that would have derailed this, and we would never have heard of Lewis Hamilton in, in Formula 1 at all. And... and the fact that he is here, and the fact he just so happens to be one of the best F1 drivers ever, its greatest modern day influencer, the man that has done more for this sport in the last, this is what, year 14 for Lewis now? Mm. He's done more to influence this sport and to get it into places it's never been before than anyone in, maybe in history. Certainly at least in modern day history, at least. And the fact that Hamilton is trying to make it so that he's not going to be the next 57 years for another black driver to make this sport is objectively a good thing. Those people that are saying that, oh, 
forced diversity is bad. And that, like, is what I don't understand. Like, if you don't give a subset of humanity an equal playing field, you're not giving yourself the best possible chance of hiring the best possible candidate. Like, how do you know if you've got them, if you exclude people from colour? And an equal playing field at the start, far below the surface when it starts out with education and being able to right. get into this industry. As you said, it gives you the best opportunity to mm. get the best staff available. There's, there might be the best F1 engineer who ever lived that never got a chance because they didn't get a chance to get the education in the first place. And, 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 and that's just it. We don't know that. And that is exactly what the Hamilton Commission is going to do. It is doing, it is tackling this on the lowest of, ground, of grassroots levels. Schools. Asking simple questions. Well, why is it that more white people are graduating from STEM subjects? Why are they coming through the sciences? Why are they coming through engineering and tech? Why aren't more black people getting the support they need on a ground level? And that's exactly how they should approach it. No one is saying, oh, F1 has to hire four black drivers a year. No, no, you're not, you're not, you don't fix the elevator from the top. You fix it from the bottom. And... You ask the simple questions. Why is it you're more likely to come through these careers if you're white? Why is it that more white men are coming through karting? We talked about this when we were talking about women in motorsport and how to get women into the sport. It was the same questions we were asking. Well, why, do we not, why are there not more women in karting? It's the same principle here. And I'll tell you for free. It's because it's a bloody freaking expensive hobby. And chances are more black households don't have the money to afford it. Like... I wanted to be a cricket player when I was younger, and I grew up in the time where cricket, like cricket participation in the inner cities, were, 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 no one was playing in cricket in, in London if you were black. Right. I did some study on this because I'm a big cricket fan, and and somebody put an article up about this that studied this. That fun fact: between 1998 and 2001, the three-year period, so I was between six and nine years old. So I was in school at the time. Black participation in cricket went down by 51%. 51%. Like, the cricket failed the inner city kids. Yeah. It failed It failed black people. And it's why I will always go a little bit harder for people like Jofra Archer, because he got shit for coming from Barbados to represent, and chose to represent England instead. And there was a joke I made before he bowled that famous super over in the World Cup final where I said, he's either going to be knighted, he's either going to be knighted, or he's going to be a mass immigration debate in the next 10 minutes, depending on how this over goes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I'd made that joke because we are very judgmental about which black athletes we embrace in this country, depending on whether they win or not. And that, to be fair, that's not just a black thing, that's also just a winning thing of British arrogance. See Andy Murray for more on that, basically. <laughs> but it, it's it's why I made such a big deal about Joffre cracking the England team, because I knew for a fact that cricket had failed a lot of inner-city black kids growing up. And I was in that boat. And I knew that because I couldn't... My, my parents couldn't afford the gear. Like, you know how expensive cricket bats are? <laughs> They're like... 300 quid for a good one. Baseball's like, got the same problem in America. Yeah. yeah. It really does. Oh, God, yeah. I've, and that's despite... Foolish Baseball did a brilliant video about this, yeah. Yeah, and that's despite Major League Baseball actively having a program specifically try to try to get black participation up in inner cities. 
There is a brilliant foolish baseball video where he talks about exactly that, about how baseball is becoming the world's game. But there's a significant part of that video where he talks about how black median households in America, the, the pay gap between black and white households in the US is frightening. And that is part of the reason why there's no black Americans coming up and playing baseball anymore because it's too expensive to get into. And if you, his, his videos in general are fantastic, but that one in particular is brilliant. And you don't need to be a fan of sabermetrics and, and fancy stats to be into it, which is what it normally specializes in. But it's a, it's, he, he's a brilliant video maker, Bailey, and I highly recommend him. Um, but it's called The World's Game. Check it out. Seriously, go out of your way. Because cricket and baseball are very similar in that, like I said, they had mass participation crisis, um, especially in the early 2000s, just when they were peaking, mm-hmm. if anything. So it's... Hamilton, what Hamilton is doing is objectively great, and he's doing exactly what we want a lot of athletes, particularly black ones, to do in this country, and that is to put their money where their mouth is. And if you want the if you want the big walking example of that, Marcus Rashford, mm-hmm. just last week, who single handedly raised twenty million pounds for his own charity to feed hundreds of thousands of hungry children in the United Kingdom, and then got. Our Prime Minister Boris Johnson to backtrack and spend £120 million to make sure everyone in the UK gets free school meals through the upcoming summer holidays, through till uh, when our schools reopen fully in September. And I saw people on Twitter, I saw people on Twitter torching him for that. Like, and it's, and I saw people on the radio, like James O'Brien, who's brilliant at this, and he just turned around, the, the people that were calling in saying, oh, well, you know, why? Like, I saw a very disappointing tweet from Courtney Lowe's, who plays for the England rugby team, who is also black, saying, oh, why are these parents having so many kids they can't afford? And I'm like, go fuck yourself, first and foremost. That isn't a viable <laughs> argument. No, it, 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 it isn't. Circumstances can friggin' change. Like, and, and that's just a, a, such an ignorant take. It makes my Honestly, head spin. But like, I hate that argument, because that's, that's borderline eugenics. That's you debating who should or shouldn't have children. Yeah. Right. Right, and and that's the whole point. And the the, the basic comeback was one simple question: Why don't you want? To, why don't you want to feed hungry children? <laughs> and the mentality of black athletes in this country, I think, has always has almost always been: either you win for us, or you've got to act like the sport owes you something. And I think that's why a lot of people had issues with Raheem Sterling when he was one of the first black footballers in, of the modern era to speak out against racism and lead that campaign when he was racially abused by Chelsea fans in the middle of their their game last season and and it's gone obviously much further than that in the last year since but Raheem really was the one that led the charge for Man City and yeah like we are now seeing more and more athletes use their platform to for good for objectively good causes and this is absolutely one of them and I can't for the life of me, figure out why anyone would think this is a bad thing. I just everyone deserves a basic chance. They do. You give them a basic chance, and you see what happens from there. Yeah, balls in your court now, F one. <laughs> oh God! And should we even talk about F one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we kind of have to talk about it because they, God, I think it was a day later, announced that. They would have their own campaign called the We Racers One campaign, and a promise that they were going to tackle issues including equality within motorsport. And 
Unfortunately, it was kind of a vague opening statement. They said they were going to unveil in the coming weeks what mm. what their plans were going to be. It was part of, I think it was the FIA New Deal, I think they were calling it, mm. um, where you know they're, they're raising campaigns to fight issues against elements like equality in the sports. And yeah, you know, we'll have to wait and see, we'll see in the coming weeks what, what the plan is because it makes me nervous because it was a very vague statement their logo was not helpful. Not for at those all. guys that have not, their logos, for their logos that have not seen it yet, it is a rainbow, but it is not a conventional rainbow. It is a rainbow with all the team's colours on it. Um, and for those guys that also are unaware, we are still in the middle of Pride Month. Um, yeah. Using the Pride Month logo with a bunch of Formula One teams on it is a objectively bad look. You could have done anything. You know, it's you that's, okay. that's not even the end of it. Uh, so like. McLaren unveiled their rainbow that is going to feature on their car in Austria, and all mm-hmm. the all the team all the teams are going to run rainbows on their halo. And McLaren just just have regular rainbow, and and they're running rainbows on their car in support of frontline workers. That makes sense <laughs> because unfortunately mess. the Brit. It is a mess because for those guys that don't know, unfortunately, the British government has embraced the use of the rainbow to say thank you to the NHS for all their work during the COVID pandemic. Again, during the middle of Pride Month. During the middle of Pride Month, while while extremist sectors of of some of these communities are trying to exclude other segments of the community. Yes, Mm. and unlike 1920, most of the world isn't Britain anymore. (laughs) <laughs> god damn you uh, shame me why don't you care <laughs> but yes Dad. he's absolutely right and, and 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 unfortunately yeah it is a bit problematic to be using the rainbow logo and unveiling that in the middle of prime month and thought hey maybe we're diminishing some other important campaign in the middle of this time All right. British government I'm looking at you too um, but uh, yeah Again, it was a it was a vague statement. I mean, again, a lot of these. For, oh, I mean, when, when they when they spoke out about being anti-racist, you know, um, it reminds it me of like the FIFA too. campaign. Say no to racism. Uh, that, that we talked about it before the show, and I asked, how much teeth does that have? And apparently, it doesn't have much. I uh, I fear that I expect the same out of this initiative. Because right after uh, the blackface incident and testing in 2008 in Catalonia, the FIA launched a Racing Against Racism campaign. Um, can you find any mention of it on the FIA website? Uh, nope. Like, literally, most recently, the only time I've ever seen it was when when Jean Top mentioned it in relation to Races 1, and that's it. That's it. Like, hey, this campaign did exist, and yeah. It most certainly was a thing. I'm just going to point out that it certainly existed. And two, Ryan King basically lives on the FIA website, so if he's pointing out it was barely there, it really wasn't there, uh, basically. Like, um, like, Dre, you remember, you know, that year in 2007, where pretty much, like, the FIA threatened to the Spanish Grand Prix promoters... If there's anyone in blackface, like, continuing on, your race is going to be off the schedule. And then Spain had it 
twice that year because there was racist fans there during preseason testing in February, and they did it again when the Grand Prix started that same month in May because a bunch of bitter dickhead Spanish fans dressed up in blackface and said, "Oh, oh Hamilton was quote a half breed or a black shit." Yeah. And like, um, in fairness, it didn't happen the year after or any time after that point. Uh, and like, the FIA never actually had to make good on their threat because the the problem was gone. Right. But point yeah, the point is is that Spain clearly did not do enough to to stop this from happening. But they got away with it. And it's, what I want to know more than anything else is that what does what what does the FIA and what does Formula One want to do about this? How are they going to go about it? How much money are they going to, are they going to invest in this? How much in terms of time and resources? I would like to see a full on plan of what they're doing here. So why I was even skeptical, for example, when Michael Jordan said he was going to put a hundred million dollars up over the next 10 years for, you know, a lot of black related causes. But I want to know where that money's going. You know, I want transparency. I want to see what the plan is, what the blueprint is for where that money's going. When Colin Kaepernick was putting up a million dollars of his own back pocket towards causes, you know, you knew exactly where the money was going. He said the public what his plan was going to be and how mm-hmm. they were going to fund them and what Definitely. difference it was going to it's make. Being left pretty I'm, ambiguous. Oh yeah, like yeah. I'll I'll quote Keith Collinsine of RaceFans.net. Re- hashtag We Races One needs to be more than just something those of us who follow motorsport can post colorful pictures of Instagram on and say, "Isn't it nice to see F1 doing this?" Because that's what it's trending like. It needs yeah. Keith. It needs to matter. Yeah, this this is not the end. This is just the beginning. Yeah, we've barely scratched the surface here. Um, we've said it before, being quote-unquote not racist is not enough. And for those guys that watched my video and thought, but Ref1 isn't racist, you completely missed the point. <laughs> no one is saying that the sport is racist. What we are saying is, is that maybe it could do a bit more of its... Maybe it could carry a bit more of its own weight in trying to make the sport more diverse and giving people of of minority backgrounds and, and, and experiences an opportunity to make it in the sport. Right. And the sport owes a level of responsibility for that in a sport that, for all intents and purposes, is extremely rich and white. Yeah. And anyone I think, that says otherwise it is in denial. I think that's going to be the big issue, where it kind of circles back to you know what Bomani Jones initially said when the, when the protests first started happening, where, like, again, for for... Formula One to make these widespread changes, people are going to have to admit that, yeah, they were complicit in this. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like how Pascal Verline's career after two years pretty much ended because media talked in code about him being difficult to work with. Which has Diva. never been supported by anyone he has worked with since. Completely baseless theory. Like I said before, the only differences between us and NASCAR sometimes is that we're more subtle and we talk in code, especially here in Britain, when it comes to how its media handles people. It's, it's never been a fair fight. Yeah, with NASCAR, it's been on the surface. With F1, you peel a layer back and it's there. Yeah. Yeah, because so that actually, layer is paper thin most of the time. And yeah, actually, yeah, the, the first story, like, despite, you know, this being a thing for almost a month now uh like most most of the european outlets autosport uh you know motorsport.com the race they didn't cover this till 
Hashtag we races what? They they were they didn't cover it until they were more or less forced to cover forced it. Forced to. Right. And then, and then when they did, it was only white folks that were commenting and putting opinion pieces down about it, which, again, is not a great look. Like, Hazel pointed this out on Twitter. You couldn't get a single black writer or contributor to write about this? Like, no one works for them. They're not hiring people. Like, you, couldn't get them. Lewis, you couldn't get Lewis on a fucking Zoom call? <laughs> like, fuck. Like, you're no worse than the ringer in that regard. Mm. Yep. The ringer, which is 95% white. <laughs> and has no senior black staff in its 115 different fucking podcasts. <laughs> Jesus. That's the whole point, is that, again, you see, you know... It, how do people sit there uh, talking about inequality in motorsport and they're getting a white guy to write about it? I mean, <laughs> do I need to spell out how problematic that might be? Like, like my, my issue is not that they is not that they had a white guy write it. It's that 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 a white guy was the only option. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we couldn't have a black guy on the team talk about this because we don't hire one. It's it's just, it's it's asinine. It's backwards. And we've got work to do on that one. So, a lot of work to do. So, I I am eager to see what F1's plan is going forward. It needs to be an intensive plan. And hey, they did mention this in their early manifesto. Maybe sit down with Lewis Hamilton. Maybe even collaborate with him and see where they're going with this. Might not be a bad place to start. Speaking of which, we didn't didn't quite mention this. But uh, we also had the, uh, the Marco quote that wasn't. Oh, yeah, this came up. Uh, Lewis caught wind of a quote that was made up by Hamilton Stan saying that Dr. Marco was on some racist shit. They had to, they had to retract the quote, of course. Uh, but I feel like, look, Dr. Marco's character does not need defending. And honestly, it, it wasn't on Lewis to retract the quote because it was reported by uh, very, it was reported by various outlets of ill repute. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, a bunch of people jumped on this. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say, it wasn't like it was just he saw the quote from the fan who did this. Other people jumped on the wagon and someone had clearly passed it on to Lewis and he thought it was a genuine quote. Again, understandable in this media space. It really is. Like, it's not an excuse, given that we know Dr. Marco's character, that, you know, you've accused him of something that he did he did not say. That's not okay, no matter how much of an asshole he may be. Um, let me just say that on the record. <laughs> but um, Oh boy, Helmet that's... Marco isn't a blatant racist. Yay. Whew. The bar is very the, 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 the bar is very low here. Um, very low. It's about six foot buried underground. But uh, this is not okay. I'm glad Leo stretched it. And, the, and unfortunately, these quotes have merit because Sky Sports News reported the story and put it on their news cycle for several hours until it was debunked. Check your goddamn so, sources. <laughs> please, like, do not shrimp on journalistic integrity. Like, it is important. But the clicks, Dre! <laughs> sweet, the clicks. sweet clicks. <laughs> I am here for quality. That's why you listen to this show. Oh god, well, most of the, maybe not. Most of the time. Um, <laughs> most of the time. Uh, let's take a quick musical break. We'll be back, and after that, we'll talk about some more of the news.
one out of the way real quick before we get into more detail. Forza Alex Zanardi, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus. This this was not nice to read about at all. Um, Alex Zanardi's had a, has had a very serious accident. He was racing in the... I'm, I'm going to butcher this, so forgive me. The Obiveta Tricolore uh, road race in Italy on his handbike when he lost control of his handbike down a hill and uh, unfortunately he struck an oncoming truck in the uh, middle of that race he was um, airlifted to hospital he was given emergency surgery on 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 a head injury that, it, that was sustained in the accident um quite rightly his family has um only released limited details on his condition uh since then but uh, he is in a critical but stable condition um They've said that his condition is not life-threatening, thankfully. But we'll have to obviously wait and see in the coming days as to what his family chooses to disclose or not to disclose. I don't want to say this in public, but I will. Please respect their family's wishes, whatever they decide to do. Um, I do not want to see another Schumacher situation, personally, where people were going out of their way to try and find information. Doctor-patient confidentiality is extremely important, and whatever their family chooses to do, please respect it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But um, obviously, just horrendous news for one of our sports true heroes, um, to say the least. Um, just horrendous, horrendous news. I know. Like, Alex has already been through enough. Like, it seems like so long ago when he lost his legs in a collision in a champ car race at the Lausitz ring in Germany. And he's already in, had a flourishing second career winning world touring car championship races, testing F1 cars, racing in super GT's dream race at Fuji last year. But most importantly, he picked up hand cycling has become a four time Olympic gold medalist in a race like this Let's not forget, if we were in a year where we don't have a pandemic that puts everything on hold, this would be a race he would be doing to train for the Summer Olympics in Tokyo, where perhaps he may have won even more. Um, It's it's a terrible deal, and, you know, I... Alex has persevered through so much, and I think, I speak for a lot of people in thinking that uh, we're really hoping that for another Zanardi miracle. Wouldn't be his first. One of the toughest, toughest SOBs to ever walk the planet. And, uh, yeah. yeah, it's tough. Oh. We He's, can only hope yeah. for hope that he can make a full recovery. And we hope for good news soon. Yeah. Just days prior, he was on uh, Beyond the Grid, the, uh, the F1 podcast. I highly encourage you all to go ahead and listen to that episode. He did. He, he talked about it at length. He talked about that that accident where he lost his legs, and he's he said his his heart stopped seven times on on on, on the operating table. He, he was read the last rites. Um, you know, it's, it's he he is one of the toughest men that this sport that any sport has ever seen, and he's an absolute hero. And I hope he's got a little bit more fight left in him. One can only hope. Again, he's predicted to be in a medical coma, a medically induced coma, until next week. Again, again, the, the the family are keeping it to themselves for now, which again, like I said, they have every right to. Yeah, at minimum, uh, we, we won't can... get any more news really until then on what his condition and prognosis is really like. 
indeed um, hopefully it will be some positive news when we come back most likely next week um, so yeah here's here's hoping that uh, that uh, he, he makes a speedy recovery wish him all the best here from everyone at Motorsport 101 Whew. Um, the other news, um, and uh, thank, thank God, something that isn't totally depressing. Um, <laughs> oh my God, positive news, 2020. Be still my beating yeah, heart. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, we, it only took us an hour and a half of podcast to get to some bright news. Jesus Christ. And, oh no, um, it's bright news for you guys. <laughs> yes, um, more okay. on that later. Um, um, but, uh, yeah, MotoGP is back, everybody! Yes, officially! Back at it. It is officially back. Um, we did hint at a potential calendar a couple of weeks ago. Turns out Patterson was pretty much on the nose. Um, so, uh, well done him. Pat on the back. Um, here is the revised, uh, 2020 MotoGP calendar. As it stands, it's going to be a 13-race season with potential for more. I'll get to that in a second. But the season will start July 19th um, at Haref. It will be a doubleheader at Haref on July 19th and 26th. Um, that they're calling the second race the Andalusia Grand Prix. Because, again, we're going by the uh, cheeky province title here um, to, to, to get to pad these names out. Uh, you'll, have to, you'll have to see it. Uh, a couple of weeks later, they're going to Bruno on August 9th. Um, after that, we're going to have Two races at the Red Bull Ring in Spielberg on August 16th, day before my birthday, nice. And uh, Styria, uh, again, they're calling it the Styria Grand Prix, again, we're going by region names now, which uh, is, uh, is, is fun. So again, that's a doubleheader, that'll be August 16th and August 23rd. Um, we get a uh, three-week summer break. Yeah, we still get a summer break here, which I think is crazy. Um, then they go for the first of two races at Misano. Um, September 13th and September 20th, we're going to have two doses of Rossi Land. Uh, this is this so, so um, September. Me we're having two races in two different countries, but at the same track. Yep, the San Marino Bingo. Grand Prix and the Emilia Romagna Grand Prix. Yes. Again, totally Only makes sense. GP. Uh, that is the first of a triple header because um, after that they will be flying back to Barcelona for uh, the, uh, Catal- the Catalunya Grand Prix at the Circuit de Catalunya on September 27th. Um, thank God they're lucky. They're not like it's not like F1 where they're going to be racing there in the middle of August and probably burn into a crisp. Might Spicy. be a bit more subtle in late September. Um, good news, Le Mans is back, everybody. They'll be racing at the Bugatti Circuit on October the 11th. Two weeks later, Le Mans did say they were they were interested in having a race back on the yeah, calendar. It's again, a good thing that we be. don't have three major events at Le Mans basically packed within three weeks, like we feared. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad they spaced it out a little bit there. I mean, that's going to be basically middle of October. Um, it's Again, it's the first of three races in three weeks because they're going to be doing two races at Aragon after that on October 18th and 25th. RJ, what's the creative name for the second Aragon race? Uh, that would be the Grand Premio de Teruel. Lovely. Um, I'll get Lewis to translate for me. Teruel um, <laughs> After that... Um, Two weeks after that, we'll be having the European Grand Prix at the Circuit de Valencia. Uh, again, again, that is 
Uh, Does that ring a bell to anybody? <laughs> Anyone? No. European Grand Prix of Valencia? No, never no, not heard that of it. one. Um, it's funny. <laughs> it'll be the eight years to the day of Alonso winning that race in 2012. We don't talk of that race around here, you heretic. Um, hey, European I'll have Grand you Prix. know, I enjoyed that Michael Schumacher podium. It's- I did too. I did too. Um, it was yeah the European Grand Prix at the, for the first of two races at uh, the Valencia Circuit on November eighth and fifteenth. The second one being the uh, Comintat Valencia Grand Prix. Whatever. The I, think ran, I think they ran out of ideas at this yeah, point. Yeah, the Valencia Grand Prix. Yeah, yeah, Dre, Dre. That's that's the normal name for this race. Yeah. Shut up, King. Pure, <laughs> pure fucker. You're right. You win this round. Um, okay, um, so as people, as Lewis quite rightly pointed out, thirteen races in eighteen weeks, seven of <laughs> and, them uh, in Spain, <laughs> whole lot of Spain. Let's just say Union Jack Twitter was not best pleased about this. Um, <laughs> oh, so we, the British Grand Prix actually cancelled for a good reason this time, and people are mad. Instead, <laughs> instead of being cancelled because it rained too much in a place where it always fucking rains. Yeah, because the track was shit last year. I mean, what, what more do you want me to say? Hashtag cancelled. Hashtag cancelled indeed. Now, this is not a final, final calendar, may I point out? Oh! Um... The situation is as well, there is the possibility of expanding said calendar with potentially another four races. MotoGP will make a final decision on this before July 31st. There is a possibility that the Circuit of the Americas could return. Oh, Lord. Mark Marquez (laughs) in the background like, ooh. Yeah, if Governor Greg Abbott of Texas gets his way, that'll probably happen and they'll probably open up the whole place. Mm. Yeah, goody. Um, Totally totally safe. Um, Circuit of the Americas, the uh, Termas Rio del Hondo, uh, Argentina could be back on the calendar potentially. Um, We could be going back to um, to Thailand for the the Chang International Circuit. There could be a race in Thailand again uh, this year. And Malaysia is also potential. That one's probably the most likely to come back on the calendar is a race at Sepang, because again, it is super popular in Malaysia. It would I can not vibe surprise with this. me if... Everyone loves Sepang. Oh yeah, like like, there's a good possibility they'll race at Malaysia, I reckon, mm. before the end of the year. So there is, there is range for expansion, although... December races do not appeal to me at all, but hey, we'll have to wait and see well, so it's where be they very, cram uh, these races in. It's going to be very location-dependent as well, because I don't know how uh, MotoGP bikes get on in the snow, but I wouldn't think <laughs> or, well. Or how MotoGP bikes do in monsoons. Yeah, yeah between it's exa- monsoon Yeah, it's exactly why they're not racing in Japan. And, um, you know, Le Mans in October? <laughs> Could be wet. Could be very wet. And trust me, if you race at Le Mans, when it rains down there uh, at Le Mans Bugatti circuit, it pours. Well, I'm you just do thinking, not want a wet race at Le Mans. I'm just thinking back that to, uh, I believe, the year in 1968, they ran the 24 hours in September yeah. due to an election, and it pissed. And pissed. Oh, yeah. And just kept on pissing. Yeah, so possibility of up to 17 races on the MotoGP calendar, seven of them in Spain, another two... Um, in Italy as well, you're all shocked. So um, it really is. A, it really, half the calendar is a Mark Marquez home race. It's not just a joke this year. Yeah, it's not seven out of thirteen. 
Hey. Again, it'll probably be a bit more by the time it's all said and done, but we'll have to wait and see. So yeah, um, I, I also do find it funny that literally three of Marquez's bank arounds are also on this calendar. Um, also in the, in the potential expansion section, I wonder how hard Donna will be to try and get those back on the calendar between now and the that, end and, of July. We'll and and him talking about how much better his shoulder is now that he's gotten this big break. Hmm. <laughs> oh God. So oh, King, God. why Wait, were why were you so upset about the MotoGP news? Uh, we we got we got a re- replacement at KTM for uh please please don't leave Paul please don't <laughs> leave can't help you there King yes sir um, replacing the probably departing Paul Espargaro enter Danilo Petrucci sorry I'm I'm busy here playing the world's smallest violin for oh, no no I got to uh, I got to press F on the world's smallest keyboard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a small F, and uh, yeah, as, as King takes a drink, uh, yeah, Danilo Petrucci again, all but confirmed at KTM. That was every media pre- every every media outfit in that the was a, reported it. That was a hate sip. <laughs> really the look on King's face. Uh, that was that was vit- that was vitriolic. It's like that, that was just bitter. I was like, how much lemon was in that cup, King? Um, <laughs> a bit of lime in there too, maybe. Full mojito. Um, no, it's uh, it's it's. I'm not going to beat around the bush here. This is uninspiring from KTM. You can't go from from Paula Spargaro to Danilo Petrucci and be happy about it. I mean, oh. it's just. Ugh, it's Paul's been brilliant for him. It's like with every passing day, the KTM MotoGP project just gets a little bit further in the doldrums. <laughs> It's not looking good, but they they have one promising thing going for them, and that's they still have Binder and Oliveira, which Binder. surely you have to think. Surely you think it has. They have to build around those two dudes and quick because yep. Petrix is not the future. Petrix <laughs> is twenty nine years old. Petrix cost and- Ducati the team's championship against a one man team. He dropped off a cliff halfway through last season. He went from winning at Mugello and being a, a viable backup for Dovi to barely fo- finishing in the top ten for the second half of last season. Petrix needs to re- basically needs to, re- to reboot his career, or he might not get another chance. And I want him to because I love Danilo. He's one of the nicest dudes in all of motorsport. Everybody likes Danilo. He is one of the happiest go luckiest, one of the funniest dudes in this sport. Um, you know, he he's well loved by everybody. <laughs> But he's not going to save KTM. I'm like, just thinking like, back to last year, and I'm just thinking the the scene that can sum up his season is making a really good start in Phillip Island, and then falling yep. off a bike and being not his bike, but he was literally launched into Fabio's bike. Yeah, launched into Fabio Quartararo's bike around the outside. That was that was a brutal crash, but it was also a, a useful visual metaphor for the second half of uh, Petrix's season. There, look. They should have bumped up Miguel Oliveira yeah. in the fucking first place. Like, what were you thinking louder, about calling that D- man? Dre, Dre, louder <laughs> for people in the back. They did not promote one of the most underrated riders in all three classes. Holy shit, how did you mess this up? Um, sorry, I had, to get, I, had to, I had to get that off my chest. Because um, I, I am a stand for Miguel Oliveira, Portugal's favourite dentist. Um, and... <laughs> I still can't believe the man, the man studying dentistry. 
as well as being a guy that rides motorcycles at 200 miles an hour. Well, it's Take crazy. That, Dr. Get Britt you, Baker. Get you a man who can do both. <laughs> exactly. Um, we also got absolute... Conv- I mean, okay, as a side note as well, with Petrux going over there, it's now pretty much nailed on that Dovi will be staying at Ducati for 2021. Yeah. They've more or less confirmed that in Ducati's own camp themselves. They want to stick around. They want to keep Dovi. Dovi wants to continue on into his age 36 season next year. Um, and... They will throw money at him to keep him there. The only dispute at the moment between those two is money. Apparently, Dovi wants to be paid, um, basically for loyalty to the factory, and Ducati's uh, apparently not so keen on that idea. Um, uh, we would uh, pay you, but where are your championships? Mm, mm. Classic Ducati out. We can get anyone to ride this bike, don't worry about it. And they more or less admitted we tried and failed bringing in literally anybody else on that second machine, i.e. Vinales, Quattararo, Rins and Mir, and they struck out on all four occasions. It's a bit like me whenever I pay MLB the show on anything other than veteran. Um, it's, it's it's not pretty, trust me. Um, also, we got some some confirmation that Bradley Smith will be replacing uh, Andre Iannone in yeah. the interim um, at Aprilia, but we most kind likely of, yeah. already knew that already. Yeah. Um, again, we're still waiting on the court of arbitration for sport to hear Iannone's appeal and what happens with that. But yeah, Brad Smith. In the meantime, uh, we'll be back in the top flight with a prettier to stand in, at least for the interim. Mm. Hi, RJ again. We recorded this before the Tech 3 news with Petrucci. We'll talk about it more next time. See ya. Now, time for some orange pain, as, as, as King puts out in our Discord chat, because uh, we, cut to, we cut to Formula 1 here, and... Uh, oh. Um... Guys, we might have underestimated uh, the problems with with McLaren at the moment. Yeah, and this may not actually be um, just fishing for clicks from from so called financial experts within the sports uh, that we yeah have, more uh, than just uh, more than just uh, the man who will not be named have reported this <sighs> that dredging silt mine McLaren are in trouble. Yeah, they're in big trouble. They've had a lot of of shareholder money pumped into them to keep them afloat in the first half of 2020. Apparently, it's over 250 million pounds. Yeah. Um, they they are they their their car sales went down by a third in the first mm. quarter of this year. They only sold a third of the cars they produced um, in the factory last year, and their revenue went down by 80 million dollars. Um, which is not good by in any way, shape, or form. Um, and obviously, we we talked about it briefly about a month ago. But they they recently laid off twelve hundred of their staff, which was just horrendous to hear mm. about as well. A casualty. And this was again these these numbers I'm talking about about revenue. This was before the pandemic hit. Yeah. Um. Let alone now. And like I said, they've had they've had a lot of cash pumped in from shareholders to try and keep everything running and trying to get through this season but like but, you say before the pandemic hit like it the pandemic didn't need to hit britain mclaren's largest market is the united states yeah yeah and the current situation uh, right now we can kind of kind of lay it out for everyone is that they are trying to do what williams did in that uh, get a loan get a loan from creditors to try and shore up their short-term future yeah they are trying to uh mortgage their property you know the mtc 
the MTC, the, the whole classic shebang. cars within. Unfortunately, they already did that in 2017 to buy Ron Dennis out of the team. Ron Dennis's yeah. shares in the team valued at, I believe the number was 343 million U.S. dollars. Oh, Lord. Yeah. And so uh, the, creditors much... who, the creditors who were involved in that don't, I believe they still have control over the MTC and the classic car collection. Yeah, so they yeah. need to go to court to to be able to yeah. remortgage their properties and sell part of their historic car collection. Yeah, because the creditors who are in control aren't exactly keen on them using effectively assets that are not in their control to get another loan. Right. I was like, wait, you don't own this shit anymore. You like, can't, yeah, you can't yeah, use they, it as collateral. Yeah, it's already collateral, and they're trying to use it as collateral for more loans. Double collateral? But the mm. no, the thing, <sighs> the thing about using it as collateral in a loan, the reason why they're hopefully it'll go through for McLaren is they're trying to get a loan from one of the teams. Oh, well. A financial institution that is in control of one of the team's owners, the National Bank of Bahrain. Yes. Sir. Oh, they're all they're all buddies. <laughs> yes, because the National Bank of Bahrain is partially owned by Bahrain Sovereign Wealth Fund, which owns McLaren. Yeah. Right. Uh, apparently, it's a loan for a shit ton of money. I think they it could be like half a billion pounds we're talking about yeah here. so court like, documents indicate that it's 280 million pounds fuck oh lord give me a that cut that is that. a serious amount of money yeah, yeah. and so, the problem so right I'm now guessing... is if they do not if they do not get this loan McLaren could be facing financial insolvency by I think the day was June 17th or July yeah. 17th July 17th, July 17th yeah, yeah. They're waiting on the High Court, the old Great Britain's High Court, to give them a decision on that, and they need it by July 17th or they could be facing insolvency. Yeah. Sorry, mo- the months and days are just blending together. All it is is yesterday, <laughs> today, and tomorrow. Fair. Fair. So, um, it's not good. This, yeah. this is dire. This is, by all accounts, dire. If you're asking a, a country's national bank for £280 million to keep your business afloat... Something has gone very badly wrong. Like, what the hell did Zach Brown inherit? Like, well, seriously. Well, well, funny you mention that, because keep in mind, when Honda was the factory partner of McLaren, they were pumping something to the tune of $200 million a year, and free engines, into McLaren. Yeah, and it's uh. like, despite, you know, McLaren really you know, pushing themselves in the terms of the retail automotive industry, they've continued to deficit spend in Formula One. And once, you know, the the funds from car sales started to dry up and we're not racing anymore, so sponsors are probably not paying them, you're, you're pretty much... Yeah, you're out of money. You're running at full pace with no money. It's like when Williams sold the engineering division. Suddenly, if you've got no sponsorship... And you're not racing, you've got no income. 
Yeah, it's like when it's it's like when you're losing in Monopoly and you're starting to sell off assets to raise short-term cash. That's exactly what yeah. this is. Yeah, For- Formula One is a high inertia business. You can't just stop racing. You think bad things are gonna happen if racing just stops? Yeah, this is uh, this is the train, unfortunately, going off the unfinished bridge. <laughs> I-, I was like, it, maybe now we know why Zach Brown was the most vocal person in terms of having a cost cap maybe as low as 100 million let alone 145 like the guy that was saying it needs to be even lower was Zach Brown and I think maybe now we know part of the reason why he was just so vocal Uh, in trying to get this shit lowered because his team was on the brink yeah (laughs) because McLaren in a sense is all a factory and all but engine supply but when the car company isn't making any money, that doesn't mean anything. Then you are a privateer with no real financial base outside of F1. Right. Who and, wants to uh, check into yeah. Lando P- Norris's tw- Twitch piggy bank? <laughs> yeah, let's crowdfund McLaren through Lando's Twitch. And it, it's, it's not like, you know, the other manufacturers in the sport. Well, the ones that sell actual consumer-level cars, like... Renault or Mercedes, where they still have like scheduled fleet sales to rely on, where Honda? they're gonna be, th- their sales might be down, but they're guaranteed some sales. Yeah, Honda could just sell Super Cubs and still make <laughs> hella money. Right, McLaren sell two hundred and fifty thousand dollar cars at minimum. So yeah, and yeah, even though Ferrari know. is technically a standalone company now, they're still tied into Fiat. And they still yep. get the money from that. Yeah, you know they have a they have an expensive daddy, so to speak. So, um, As John Oliver would say, a business daddy. That is, <laughs> that, is, that, is that is Yellow's Marble Runs benefactor, John Oliver. Twenty Marble League now king. on the channel. We stand that man, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we hopefully so, things work out for McLaren. The last thing we need is two F1 teams in dire straits due to this pandemic. Especially with, again, another one is steeped in history as McLaren. And a, yeah. a team that was kind of coming back to their old ways. Yeah, McLaren, the second oldest team in the sport. McLaren, the best yeah. of the rest in Formula 1 last year by a margin. Yeah, that like, matter. it makes you wonder. They've done all this in spite of cutting spending and struggling with, with money coming through the other door, especially the first half of this year. Mm. Says a lot. IndyCar. Oh, boy. <laughs> we saw some startling news about IndyCar this morning that dropped. Um, that, wow. They've already said that uh, IndyCar's admitted that they've already sold 175,000 tickets for the rescheduled Indy 500 in August. Good God. That's um, not a small it, number. Yeah, it's not a small number. It's it's nowhere near capacity. But, again, like, the race was really scheduled to be in May. It got moved to August. Anyone with tickets in May could easily just sign up for uh, a ticket in August, and oh boy, people signed up. Oh boy, did they. And, you know, I worry that, like, you know, those a lot of those tickets are not going to be redeemed if uh, if the state of Indiana has its way. Because doesn't Indiana want to hold this race behind closed door, and doesn't Roger Penske want to have, like, some fans here? Yes, because basically... The state of Indiana, which is famously not blue, uh, feel that (laughs) 
feel that having the race is a threat to public safety. Almost like it is. <laughs> Funny, that, isn't it? <laughs> oh, dear God, what the hell is America thinking? Um, uh, we've been trying to figure this out for the last several months. It's Trey. a very easy answer, and the answer is that we're not. We're not thinking. Oh... I, I I find it doubly baffling that Graham Ray Hall was so quick to say, "Yeah, get down here." You know, we're gonna it's gonna be a great race. If fans want to come, they should take the risk and uh, come down here. Graham, I, 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 Graham, I love you as a driver. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> he's such a meathead, that man. He tries uh, too hard to cape for his own sport. He, he only t- capes for his sport. Yeah, if he toned uh, it down by like twenty percent, he'd be fine. I want to like Graham, but he's such a meathead when it comes to grabbing his own sports pearls. It's yeah. not even and funny. It, and it seems like like what Graham believes is that if fans want to come to the race, they should do so at their own risk. The problem is that the fans aren't only putting their own health at risk. Like, whether it be the... Uh, the, the service workers around Indianapolis who work in hotels, restaurants, and bars, they're at risk. The mm. people who who contract COVID-19 at the 500 have to still go back home to their own communities. You're not just putting yeah. yourself at risk. You're putting potentially hundreds of thousands of people in Indiana and beyond at risk. You're putting anyone who can't... If you go to that race... Uh, in this theoretical bullshit idea that oh if you, if you wanna if you wanna face the risk you can come you're putting everyone you make contact with at risk. So but yeah, a, you're not buying a ticket with no intention of going. So yeah. the people that are buying the tickets are going to go to this thing. You don't if they are you allowed, don't apply yeah. for a rearranged like, they don't apply for a rearranged ticket with the knowledge that they might not go to it. They're gonna do it. You know like. Mm-hmm. So, either that or you might have a big collectible in a 2020 Indy 500 (laughs) ticket that never gets Mm. cashed. And yeah, doing the rough numbers, as it stands now, the contraction rate, well, the hospitalization rate, so you contract COVID-19 and it's serious enough for you to be hospitalized, is around 95 people per 100,000. That means... Over a hundred people who attend the race will have to be hospitalized. That's not talking about the people who contract it and either have less, have milder symptoms where they don't need to be hospitalized or people who are asymptomatic. And those people could spread it to other people. And it quickly escalates to a runaway situation. Yeah, that that percentage of people would be hospitalized. Those are people whose lives would be actively at risk. Mm. It's, it this. absolutely reminds me. It absolutely reminds me of the situation we had in the UK back in March, where the final day of the Cheltenham Festival went ahead, and there was sixty-seven thousand people in in the stadium and grandstands for a day's horse racing. Uh, the same day that, you know, the day before where Liverpool had played Atletico Madrid in the Champions League and Madrid was exploding with cases. Over two, I think there was over 2,000 active cases so, so in Dre, Madrid. Dre, yeah. again, that's, that's 67,000. We're talking about a situation that could be three times as worse. Right, mm-hmm. that's what I'm saying. Like, to put it in perspective, like, it has now been, like, shown by research and studies that the Cheltenham Festival absolutely was a factor into what led to, to Great Britain's epidemic that it, that we've had now over 40,000 at least dead in the UK. We're not talking about excess deaths. We're talking about 
people that have confirmed on a death certificate that they died because of corona. Like, we it's don't even minimum. talk about care homes. Right? Like, it's the minimum figure is 41,000. It's probably a hell of a lot more. The predictions are over 65,000 in the UK. That, that you know, it's 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 startling. America's over 120K. Um, and we're talking about potentially 175,000 plus people in a mass gathering. This race can't happen with fans. Yeah, it's it not viable. It absolutely cannot happen without fans. I don't care what Roger Penske wants to tell me. Like, yeah, like you as, cannot sell tickets as to this much thing. as Bram Rahal may say, "Hey, if we can't have fans, the sport might not exist." What happens if you know the race goes ahead and plans, and you do get all that ticket revenue, and then a large percentage of the American population is dead because you decide to have this race. No one's going to look at IndyCar in a good light. That I'm going to share, like share some photos that our buddy Krista Hardy uh, posted yeah. from, uh, from... He covered a dirt track race in Indiana. You can look at these crowds and you can see everybody sitting close together. Nobody's giving a fuck about wearing a mask. You give these people an edge, they will take a mile. Yep. When it comes to just not giving any sort of shits about the health and safety of others. America is like the UK. We stopped caring about this about a month and a half ago. We got and tired of it. The, we, all, we all saw those protests. You know, black people took to the streets in America to protest their existence. White people did it to get a haircut or to open the strip clubs. Perspective. Um, but they, the point is, both our countries stopped caring about this some time ago. They were like, sod it, we'll take our chances. Restart the economy. Um, think of the, think of the black eye in the, for the public. And, uh, a spike in cases that the Indy 500 would cause. Think of the black eye for IndyCar. But all everybody wanted to talk about was how protests would cause a spike when they really haven't. Not really. Right. No. Case in point, uh, Formula E has got the rest of its season sorted out. And I don't even have to explain it, because it's all going to be in one place. <laughs> Berlin, everybody! We're putting the We're gonna... sets in Berlin we heard, sets We heard top. you like the Berlin E-Prix. So we added a Berlin E-Prix and a Berlin E-Prix to the Berlin E-Prix. Six of them motherfuckers! Yeah. <laughs> so, breaking it down... Formula E is scheduled to run six E-Pre over a nine-day period, basically starting off with a doubleheader, then taking a break day to reconfigure the track into a different layout, running another doubleheader, then taking a, two break days to again reconfigure the track into a third configuration, and then having a season finale doubleheader. I like the idea that we're not going to be running all six races on the same track layout. <laughs> so I think they're trying to make the best of a bad situation there, but it's still fucking wild. Okay, yeah, just quickly running six down. Six races in one uh, The opening race will be on August 5th. Second race, uh, the 6th. Uh, three on the, uh, race 3 on the 8th. Race 4 on the 9th. Race 5 on the 12th. And race 6 on the 13th. Good lord. I don't even know what to make of this. It's like, this is, this is a thing? Yep. Okay. The six second half races of Formula E's 11 race season. Oh my lord. <laughs> is, is, is it okay to put an asterisk on this year? Like, is, is, do I have permission to do this? Like, so... Honestly... Like, like, I'll give you an example. We're talking about baseball, right? And how that's probably going to come back to a 60-game season. And they're talking about everyone's going to have a DH. 
and if a game goes to extras, they're gonna uh, they're gonna put a runner on second. Like that is an asterisk championship, as far as I'm concerned. So, like considering that the original length of the season was gonna be twelve races, and we're at eleven, I I don't think you could put an asterisk over this one. Oh, mm. fair enough. I'll accept that. I'll save my aspects for the NBA instead. Yeah, <laughs> let's get weird with the track layouts, y'all. Let's let's have a flat oval at the Berlin E Prix. <laughs> flat oval. Ah! I mean, Bahrain's using their per- wanting to use their perimeter track to have a quasi oval round. Oh, oh man. god, it might Just... be the only chance Ferrari has all year. <laughs> oh man, yeah, can't wait for it. It's like, hey, the season finale, the season finale race at the Berlin Mile. <laughs> It's <laughs> a mile concrete oval in the middle of Temple Off Airport. Would watch. <laughs> oh, and we also know who's going to be racing at Mahindra when we do come back for the hashtag Berlin Sits Tuple. Alex Lynn is back. Oh, hey. Lynn in Berlin. Swear <laughs> to God, King. Oh, God. <laughs> that- King. But, uh, yes. Taking Pascal Verlein's seat at Mahindra. Yes. Good to see him back. Yeah, it is good to see him back. It seems like from every account, he's been a bit unlucky every time we signed up. Replaced Nelson Piquet and the last year at Jaguar. He's bounced around a bit. And with this schedule, it won't take away from his other commitments with Aston Martin in the World Endurance Championship. Not like you're going to be watching that anyway, yeah. to be fair. No, it's, it's a shame we won't see Pascal Verline racing in the Berlin Sex Chapel. I know. Oh. No Verline, no Apt. Who's going to be the hometown driver? Is it just Gunther? Uh, well, we got Rene Rast. <laughs> oh, yeah, we got Rene Rast testing for Audi to replace Daniel Apt. How about so, yeah, uh, Andre Lauderer? Yeah, the, the- oh, oh, yeah, we forgot about... How can yeah, you, of all people, forget about Andre Lauderer? Yeah, the German contingent is Rast, Lauderer, and Gunther. GG, everyone. And of course, <laughs> GG, everyone. and of course, in terms of uh, in terms of manufacturers involved, like half the grid is a home. It's a home <laughs> six race. I'll have you know that BMW i Andretti is American. I do not want to hear it. Uh... <laughs> I, I think he's been selective in what half he's chosen here. Whoa, whoa, whoa. When they win races, what anthem? What anthem's over the loudspeaker? All right, are we going to call I, Mercedes I, German because they make the powertrain in Bricksworth? Yes. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Outside. Oh, hey. And uh, if we don't kill all each, each other, and, you know, assuming that everybody's taken the necessary measures and we get a vaccine, we have a 2021 Formula E World Championship calendar. Yes, the yeah. first World Championship. Santiago, Chile, January 16th. Mexico City, February 13th. Uh, Adria in Saudi Arabia, February 26th, 27th. Sonia, China, March 13th. Rome, Italy, April 10th. Paris, France, April 24th. Monaco, May 8th. Seoul, South Korea, May 23rd. A TBC round slotted in for June 5th. TBC! TBC, Berlin, Germany, June 19th, New York City, Concrete Jungle, Wet Dream, Tomato, July 10th, <laughs> and London with a doubleheader, 24th and 25th of July, 2021. 
I still want a race at Punta del Este, damn it! It's the Punta del Beste. Yep. (laughs) But hey, at least we've got a calendar where every race is in the same calendar year for once. Run the full Monaco layout, you fucking cowards. Hey, Monaco does have an asterisk next to it. Circuit still subject to homologation. Ooh. Full layout, for God's sake. The cars are ready. Cars are Spicy. ready. Oh, yeah, and then you can run Formula One on the half layout. It's genius. <laughs> oh, God. You know, realistic. RJ, race. RJ, Ben, now. But, but if I go on the Ben, I can't talk about the next portion of our story because Danish Formula Four is in the news. Well, it is kind of the only race we had going go on. Go on, RJ, you can have it. So, set 14-year-old second-generation driver Juju Noda, daughter of Hideki Noda, who had a cup of coffee in F1 in 94, and that was about it. Juju, Juju has made the headlines because when she was 10 years old, she was setting track records at Okayama Circuit in a Formula 4 car that was built for adults. At the age of 12, she was driving a Formula 3 car that is built, again, for adults. Now she is making her official racing debut in Europe, and in her first race, she qualifies second in time trials, gets promoted to pole position because arch-rival Conrad Larson was excluded from the session, and Juju Noda goes on to lead every lap, set the fastest lap, and win on her European debut. It is a fantastic story for one of the most anticipated this is probably one of the most anticipating races debuts since Mick Schumacher started in single seaters. That was great to see, even though we all had to follow it through the timing screens. Yeah, um, and Danish F4 is w- one of the weaker F4 series out there, but that doesn't take away from the fact that she went out there and she did the work. Yeah. yeah. Up against it's- the new best name in motorsport, Mads Ho. <laughs> No, no, we're going by European terms here. The surname comes first. He's called Hose Mad. <laughs> I don't care what you tell me. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's she, she went out there, got the finish, didn't get collected in what has become famously known for Danish F4, massive pileups. It's uh, a weird <laughs> series where they have uh, souped up Formula F- Ford cars called Formula 5s, and those are actually just as powerful and lighter than the Formula 4 cars that they have. This series makes a whole lot of sense. But give Juju her credit. These are all new circuits that she's learning for the very first time, having basically been a one-track specialist when she was driving in Japan. I mean, this is- these are these are all new circuits for any motorsports oh, fan yeah. to learn. I don't think anyone knows any racing venue in Denmark. Oh, yeah. Like, it's it's a fantastic story, and, a, and I just want to stress to everybody, like, it's awesome that she won that first race. I know everybody is excited, and they would love to see her hyped up um, and race in Formula One one day. I would love to see that, too. But one thing we must keep in mind, that it is her first race weekend. I think we were all just coming in with the expectation, like, hey, just put in a good showing. Don't worry too much about sweeping the weekend. Ultimately, she did not. She was disqualified from race due due to to an administrative error on her team's part and finished third in the third and final race of the weekend. More than anything, 
Though there isn't a lot of fuel for the critics, because again, these races aren't broadcast. No one's gonna actually see her race this year unless they go to Denmark. Well, I saw I saw a few skeptics with I'm it. Down. Like, I saw a few people very skeptical about it. It's like it's her first weekend. Just it's her first see weekend. What and most the most important thing that I want her to do is be able to take things at her own pace. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, as long as Juju is happy driving cars and racing that's fine and if one day she decides that maybe racing isn't for her that's fine too yeah she's still just 14 years old we need to stop putting more weight upon of the world on her shoulders than she already has yeah here's hoping we're gonna be very careful I mean, we are still talking about a 14 year old here and you know it's it, we we get very excited in motorsport sometimes we've got to be a little bit careful on that but uh speaking of excited oh my um, God. <laughs> can i we didn't mention this on last week's show but we didn't uh, have a show last week oh don't worry i i we we made, we gave this story special attention king do you want to tell the listeners at home uh the last story we have on our set list for the night Okay, so uh, due to the Hodout 19 outbreak, most junior racing has either been completely cancelled or postponed, with most Mm -hmm. of the the higher level junior series returning in July or August, especially in the case of former regional European Championship. And one of their drivers, uh, a Czech driver by the name of Roman Stanek, uh, left the team. It's not clear why, though it seems to be financial. Uh, so his team, Prima, you know, the one of the preeminent junior super teams in Europe. Titletown. Yep, Titletown. They, they, they need a new driver to fill that role. In testing, they got Jamie Chadwick to fill in for Stanek. And now it's become revealed that Jamie Chadwick will be filling in for Stanek for the rest of the season. I like the move. I like the move. It's a good move. That's going to be a good team. It looks like yeah, that's going to be very good for for her career. Obviously, being displaced from the W series really sucks, but I am happy that she has this opportunity to race with Prima. Yes, and you know what might come of it in this heavily abbreviated Formula Regional season might be good. Maybe she'll get a seat. Somewhere better next year won't be returning to the W Series. Maybe in Formula 3? Who knows? National F3? All I know is that now we, as your official Formula Regional European Championship podcast, we'll make sure to update (laughs) you on all the latest. So, Uh, there are a number of notable drivers in Formula Regional European Championship. Arthur Leclerc? Yeah, her teammate Arthur Leclerc related to, you know... That other Leclerc there is relation. kid. <laughs> you know, the Banana Man. The Banana Man. Uh, Constellapalinen's pretty good. There's there's some guys with Wikipedia pages, I gotta admit. <laughs> that's your big break. You gotta have a Wikipedia page. Yeah, that's oh, how you yeah. know you made it. That's how you know you made it. Uh, so, King, how excited are you for all this? I'm, I'm completely ecstatic right now. You could tell. Twenty-five my, my hours of spa. I out was of gonna 10. mention this. Oh yeah, yeah, because of a daylight. Hours of spa. Yeah, because of a daylight savings time change. A, bu- a bureaucratic error gone wrong. <laughs> oh god! Oh fuck! The bureaucrats know. Yeah, 
We are going to have an extra hour added on to the spa 24 hours. Yes, because Bitchin. because during the race, the clocks will be turning back across your Oh my <laughs> lord. Could you, imagine, awesome. could you imagine that shit happening if you're grinding through one of those 24 hours races and GT4 is like, God, finally, I finished it. All in one sitting. Oh no, motherfucker, here's another hour. <laughs> nah, I'm just oh, wait, thinking. Wait, wait, the clocks rolled back. You nah, didn't wait. know? No, nah, I'm just thinking like wait. if the F1 two hour limit. And we're up against that. It's on a daylight saving day at an hour to the time limit. And obviously, they could have just moved the the finish of the race an hour back, but they decided, nah, we're rolling with this. Rattel has <laughs> lost his fucking so, mind. So we're not, so we're not going to have Alex Rins' premature win for Moto Three a few years back, where he just goes like, like yeah, I've won, and no, everyone else no, is instead, going, it's no, no, instead, it's going to be an hour premature. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> no, no, no one ever wants to be an hour premature for anything. Um, oh my! Oh, um, not that it's, bombshell. It's starting to end. Oh, <laughs> basically, you can find this real quick. One more time: YouTube.com forward slash Motorsport One Hundred One, Facebook.com forward slash Motorsport One Hundred One, Twitter and Motorsport Underscore One Hundred One uh, handles at Harrison One Hundred One HD at RJ O'Connell at Ryan Eric King at C Buckley Nine One Seven. Our website, motorsport101.com, and early access you can get for our show on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash motorsport101. I've been Andre Harrison, they've been Cam Buckley, Ryan King, RJ O'Connell, and stay safe out there, everybody. Thanks for yep. watching. Sayonara. Take care, y'all. We told you there would be levity at the end of this dark and dreary tunnel, so thank you all very much for listening. Remember that there is still work to be done. Um, there are still funds that could be donated to. Uh, if you feel that you can make a difference during this time, please find ways to do so. Um, and just be safe and use common sense and wear yep. your damn mask out in public. Bye!